What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week, I've got a very special treat for everyone here, as uh, we're going to be doing some more classic stuff here on The Booch Cast, as we are currently uh, on hiatus. And this week, I decided to put out the first three reviews of the first three seasons of Big Mouth, which, of course, is a popular show on Netflix that I have become a huge fan of. I love this show. I think it's hilarious. I think it's fantastic. I it is so hilarious and entertaining and raunchy and off the walls and it gets better and better every every season. Every now and then there's some disgusting stuff that I'm like, oh dear God, I can't believe I just saw that. But it's rare. And I chose to do Big Mouth this week for three reasons. The first is because at the time that I am recording this, uh, season six of Big Mouth recently dropped. The second reason is because I'm still making the transition here through uh, SoundCloud and Anchor, trying to take certain things off of SoundCloud and putting them on Anchor. So I know this is now on the list of stuff to do because I'm trying to get everything to where that way people who want to listen to classic Boochcast episodes can listen to them here. I can get rid of SoundCloud and stop paying that $15 a month and having it on a, on a site that nobody really goes to. So I'm trying to put them all right here and the third reason is because i have a lot of data currently on my computer and my hard drive and i need to start deleting stuff to make space and the only way i can delete these big mouth episodes is to get them uploaded to anchor spotify google podcast and iHeartRadio. so that's why this week i am putting out these classic uh big mouth reviews now i only have the first three seasons done because i never got time to get the other ones done because at the time elvis and i after a certain point started doing these reviews together in fact elvis is actually on one or two of these reviews if i remember correctly uh but since elvis has pretty much left the show elvis has pretty much left the building as they say um i'm gonna go and eventually do the uh seasons four five and of course six reviews of big mouth and i'm gonna see how many i can fit on the track and if i can fit as many as i can we'll have fun with that if not then obviously they'll be on separate tracks so on and so forth so i'm putting the first three out now i'm gonna see what i can do with the other three and um after that we'll be all caught up with big mouth so just wanted to give you guys a quick little announcement on what you can expect here so i'm gonna take a short break and when i come back we will get into the very first season of Big Mouth here on the Boochcast. So you guys sit tight. I shall return right after this. If you're lost in the Apple and can't get found, just hop the subway to Chinatown. Oop, I guess we're Brooklyn bound, but you never lost in New York City. In Williamsburg on the old time Jews have rented their buildings to hipster dudes with their waist Buckled shoes, still you never lost in New York City. As little old dancer with the right tattoos, chances are you won't get shot. And the vibe is shitty in Long Island City, but it's one of old Duke's favorite spots. Flushing <laughs> Queens is some messed up jive. Those Mahjong ladies will eat you alive. There's poets and punks and hookers and creeps. It's fucked up and beautiful and it never sleeps. Yeah, it's weird and wonderful, gorgeous and pretty, but you never lost in New York City! Hello. 
and welcome back to the Boochcast. During the break, we played the song, You Never Lost in New York City, from the first season of Big Mouth. And I chose this song because, obviously, it's from the first season, but also because out of all the songs they played that season, and there's been a lot of funny and messed up ones, this one stood out to me the most for two reasons. Uh, number one, I had some experiences in that song that I've dealt with in my real life, but also the fact they said, you're never lost in New York City, which is interesting because there's actually a movie called Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. And I feel like that song is loosely based on the joke that John Mulaney tells about Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. And he's like, how are you lost in New York? It's a grid system. So I thought that was funny and ironic, but also when they said, you know, take the subway to Chinatown, oh, I guess we're Brooklyn bound. It actually reminds me of a story where um, one time I was in New York, I was visiting uh, Alex, and I went to a comedy club to kind of network with the comics, get some stage time, and see if I can get a vibe for the New York comedy scene, you know, outside of the, the big names that are obviously in the scene. I was kind of dealing with, like, some of the local lower-level talent. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, I just mean, like, they're not famous like Chappelle and Louis C.K. and other comics in New York. Uh, that's the point I was making there. I mean, they're funny guys, don't get me wrong. I don't want people saying they're not funny. I'm just talking about in charge in terms of fame and, you know, recognized status. So I'm hanging out with these comics, and uh, at one point I got really drunk, and I got on the subway thinking I was going to Brooklyn. But I didn't realize there were two different routes to Brooklyn. And I ended up, instead of going to Bay Ridge, I ended up on Coney Island. And like a dumbass, when I realized I was on Coney Island, I tried to walk all the way from Coney Island to Bay Ridge. And people from New York who are listening to this episode right now are like, wow, Booch is a fucking idiot. You're right, I am. And I walked for many, many blocks and my legs were giving out and I was tired as fuck and I felt like I was gonna pass out. I felt like I was gonna die. So finally I found a cab driver who was off duty. I handed him a hundred dollar bill and said, look, just get me to this address. Now, from a driving standpoint, it wasn't that far away. But from a walking standpoint, I wouldn't have made it and I was gonna fucking die. Plus Alex was telling me I had to get back at a certain time where she wasn't gonna let me in the apartment, which I thought was kind of douchey. So anyway, I handed the guy the hundred bucks. He drives me to the house, but he was one he was a very good guy because he felt guilty about taking the full $100 bill, which he perfectly could have done at that point. But instead, he insisted on giving me my change back. And that was nice of the guy. And then I finally got up the stairs, knocked on the door. Alex let me in and I passed out on her couch. And then we had a big stupid fight about it the next day. But I, I won't get into that because we're over it. We're all cool. Alex and I are friends and she doesn't even live in New York anymore. But I just, hearing that song brought those memories back and that's why I chose it. And that was You Never Lost in New York City here on the Boochcast. And on that note, I'm going to get into my review of Big Mouth. And let me just say this. The one thing that inspired me to watch this show at all is the fact that for that for those of you who may not know, I'm currently in the process of writing a cartoon show. Uh, Gator and I came up with an idea for a cartoon and we have been hard at work uh, on the script and on the ideas and the episodes and everything and putting it all together. And I already have the first draft of the first season already written. Season one's already ready to go. Uh, I've just been making tweaks and fine tunes to a couple things. I think it's ready to go. And I'm sure when we get to a point where we're actually going to be, and when we, once I, once I go looking for an animator to help me animate the show and draw the characters the way, 
way I want them to look. And then once I start a casting call and I'm able to start casting people for voices and different roles in the in the show, then I will have a I'm sure some things in the script might change over time as we're filming season one. But uh, I don't have a set date on when I'm even going to start this because I have so many other projects I'm working on currently. But this is something I'm really trying to perfect and get it ready before I uh, before I animate it, before I cast it, before I make it, and before I switch it out to the uh, other um, to all the respective uh, networks out there that might want to crack at airing this show. But I decided to watch Big Mouth because I wanted to get a feel for animated shows that I haven't watched before and maybe get an idea of how I want to draw the characters, how I want them to look, how I would let the storyline go. So I originally wanted to watch Big Mouth just for a reference point, just a little research that I wanted to do. Obviously, the show that I want to do is different from this one. I've got my own ideas, my own stuff written down, uh, and ready to go, and ready to go. Like I said, uh, season one is ready to go. I'm about to start writing a uh, season two. I'm cur- I, right now. I'm on the first episode of the second season. That's where I'm at as far as the cartoon is. I've been kind of working on the first episode, and then once I get that done, I'll start working on season two as much as possible. So right now, I'm in basically the writing stage, and then once I get to the point where I'm ready to go, I can. You know, like I said, do all the casting and animating and all that shit. But one thing I do know for sure is that as far as ideas go, I've got three full seasons worth of ideas all ready to go. I've got one season already written, and now I'm just starting to write season two. But anyway, as I was, but as I started watching the show, I became amazed and captivated, and I actually started to like it. And I got to a point where I was watching this for fun, and I did something with this show that I hadn't done with any other Netflix show, with the exception of F is for Family. I binged, watched it twice. That's how you know a show is I like a show when I'm willing to binge watch it twice. So I've done it twice and it was awesome and I enjoyed it. And one thing I love about this show is the fact that it is edgy, it is controversial. It there's stuff that goes on in this show that most people would go to jail for if they did this in a live action environment. But because it's animated, they can get away with it. And i that's what made me love it the most because it actually makes me feel better about the edginess and the controversy and the crazy shit that we're doing, that I'm doing with my own show. Like, I, I, granted, I'm not going to be as crazy and sexual as this one, at least not in every episode, maybe a couple. Um, but one thing I do know is that it makes me feel better about going in an edgy, controversial direction. And the fact that I could find a home for this somewhere. At least Netflix would probably pick it up. Uh, although I am, granted I'm shooting really high, but, you know, hey, if you don't shoot high, you might as well not shoot at all. But anyway, loved this show. And what was interesting about it was uh, the great cast of characters. Uh, the series follows seventh grade best friends Nick Birch and Andrew Globerman as they navigate their way through puberty, masturbation, and sexual arousal. Acting as sex-based shoulder angels are the hormone monsters 
Maurice, who pesters Andrew and occasionally Nick and Jay, and Connie, who pesters Jesse and occasionally Missy. Throughout the series, the kids interact with people and objects who are personified in one way or another and other helpful, I'll bet confusing, advice in their puberty-filled lives, including the ghost of Duke Ellington, a French-accented Statue of Liberty, a pillow capable of getting pregnant, and even Jesse's own vagina, which was quite possibly the craziest moment of the show where Jesse actually put a mirror up to her vagina and it actually started talking, which was very, very weird, very, very funny, and very, very over the top. And of course, um, Nick Birch is played by Nick Kroll, a comedian, who also plays Maurice the, home, the Hormone Monster and Coach Steve. He also voices Lola, Lady Liberty, A Ladybug, Joe Walsh, the ghosts of Picasso and Richard Burton, and Sylvester Stallone, who also makes an appearance in this. And then, of course, uh, John Mulaney, who I have recently become a big fan of. I saw his two comedy specials on Netflix. This guy is incredibly talented. And he plays Andrew, who's a young Jewish boy who spends much of his time masturbating. He, and Mulaney also voices Mint. Grandpa Andrew, Babe the Blue Ox, and a detective. Then you got uh, Jesse Klein, who plays Jesse Glazer, a sarcastic and smart girl. Her father named Greg is an unemployed stoner, and her mother named Shannon is secretly dating another woman. And that be- and she gets her period for the first time on a school trip to the Statue of Liberty, and then has to deal with all the craziness from that. And then that's when the hormone monstrous Connie shows up, because now Jesse has hit puberty, which takes her to a whole other level where basically she's going through all the moments of she's angry, she's crying, her moods are out of control. And it basically what's great about this show is it really gets down to the nitty gritty and shows you what puberty is really like and how messed up it is for everyone involved by how women become very hormonal and guys become very sexually aggressive like it's just and how their kids so they're having a hard time controlling it uh, and then of course um jason manzukis is jay blizzrian a boy who's obsessed with magic and sex he has sex with a pillow that he made into a sex toy his mom is mentally ill his dad is a divorce lawyer and his two older brothers are named kurt and val he's obsessed with nick's mother and father Father wishes for a, and wishes for a loving family. She's obsessed with them in the regard of he wants a family, not that he wants to bang, um, you know, uh, Nick's mom. And it, sh- and it shows that throughout the series where sometimes Nick is just annoyed with his mom coddling him and being a mama's boy. But Jay takes to it immediately because his parents don't give him any of that stuff. And a lot of times, you know, Jay will say crazy stuff about love. And one of the catchphrases is, stop quoting your dad's law commercials. And it's just funny. You know, and I love that. And then, like, his dad has a great line. He goes, like, marriage is a sham and love dies. Let's bury the body together. And then throws a grenade in the in a grave sto- in, a, in, a, in a in a grave site and then yells, Jay, keep rolling! And then it just blows up. It's fucking crazy. And then, of course, you got Jenny Slate, who plays Missy, a girl who's nerdy and kind. Her father's black. Her mother is Mexican. Um, then you got Fred Armisen, who plays Elliot Birch and the ghost of Ant- Anton Scalia, a bus driver, and Stavros. You got Maya Rudolph, who plays Diane Birch, Connie the Hormone Monstrous, Bath, a 
bath mat, ghost of Elizabeth Taylor, and the ghost of Whitney Houston. Then you have Jordan Peele, who's the ghost of Duke Ellington, ghost of Freddie Mercury, Atlanta Claus, DJ Cyrus, and Patrick Ewing. And it also has uh, another eclectic cast of characters in this. Uh, Paula Bell is Barbara Globerman, Andrew's mother, and a Jewish wife stereotype. You got Richard Kind as Marty Globerman, and they are every Jewish stereotype you can imagine. Um, it's crazy. Uh, then, of course, we got uh, Andrew Reynolds as Matthew, June Diane Raphael as Devin, uh, and then the list goes on and on. There's too many here to list. I'm not even going to bring them up. But it's an amazing show. I was very captivated by it. Uh, of course, you know, uh, what's crazy about it is the fact that Andrew, you see him go through the evolution because one of the moments is uh, Nick tries to scare Andrew as he's coming out of the shower. But Andrew drops his towel and Nick sees Andrew's dick. And he realizes Andrew's going through puberty. But Nick has yet to go through any kind of puberty, get any kind of hair or anything. So basically, uh, Andrew has, you know, a hairy bush by his you know, dick and balls. And draw, and Nick is like obsessed with the lack of changes in his own body. Then of course he's, pl- at one point he's actually playing basketball and he looks at his friends and all he sees are dicks. Like literally dicks. Like at one point. And then there's like a Jewish guy or a guy who's not, not circumcised so he gets like muffling. Then he has to pull down the foreskin which is kind of funny. And then they see the coach and he looks like a dick and he's got like, but he's the only, he's the only one with like major hair on his balls and then it's just, uh, and then Nick has this crazy moment where he's playing basketball with penises and it's just insanely hilarious. And then, of course, um, there's a trailer for a new movie starring The Rock, which leaves Andrew questioning his sexuality. And then Jesse and Nick's budding romance turns ugly fast because they kind of made out at a school dance. And then all of a sudden, Nick is kind of bragging that him and Jesse did more. Jesse snaps, emasculates Nick, turns around and walks out like a gunslinger. It's fucking crazy. Then at one point, um, you know, uh, Andrew's at a school dance and he's dancing with Missy. And then the hormone monster tries to make them dance and he gets a lot of friction going. And then, of course, he jizzes in his pants and he has to run to the bathroom. So they show that embarrassing moment. And then, of course, um, some of you are probably wondering, Booch, did you mention anything earlier about a pregnant pillow and then just speed past that? Yeah, I really did. I actually did. Uh, basically, Jay basically has sex with a pillow and he goes into graphic detail detail about how he makes it work like he cuts a slit in the front he takes two plastic bags fills them with Campbell's tomato soup heats it up till it gets lukewarm and puts it inside the pillow so when he's fucking it it's like he's fucking an actual vagina and then at the end he goes I have a slip here and I, I cut a slit in the back too but that's only for my birthday which of course is you know making the joke about how you know women will let their most women let their husbands you know fuck them in the ass on their birthday you know unless you're a girl who enjoys that sort of thing then it's happening routine around the clock but anyway it's just it's crazy and then like the and the hormone monster's like this kid might be a genius <laughs> So there's a lot of crazy stuff. And then, of course, there's this steamy novel with uh, where apparently there's this guy who turns into a horse. And, you know, the whole thing about it is like it's it's supposed to build like sexual tension in a book. I'm assuming I have no fucking I can't fucking remember much about it except that you know Missy finds it insanely turned on by it uh, Jesse gets insanely turned on by it and at one point even Barbara gets turned on by it to the point where uh, her husband the, the Jewish guy he basically puts on dresses up like a horse dresses up like a horse puts like a saddle on and hooves and then fucks his wife which is kind, which is just a, a sight you definitely don't want to see and then of course uh, the pillow actually comes to fucking life 
which is disgusting. And to top it all off, uh, the pillow gets pregnant, and then Jay ends up becoming a dad. But then when the pillow's born, it has a green hat on, just like Jay's older brother. So she realizes the pillow fucked his older brother and then got pregnant by that. And you're just sitting there going, yeah, just when you thought this show couldn't get any more of a what the fuck moment, this shit happens. And then you're just and then you're just like, oh good God. And then of course the pillow runs away with the kid, and then uh, Jay ends up fucking the bath mat out of nowhere, which is very fucking random. And then of course, um, Andrew and Missy are working together on a science fair project. They decide to become a couple. They go steady and they go take a tour through a science museum. And there's like a giant heart. Like it's not a real heart. It's like, but it's, it's made to look like a real heart. And you take a tour and you walk through it. It's kind of like the one they used to have at the uh, Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. You know, the Franklin Institute Science Museum, which was ironically enough when I was in Philadelphia, they used to be one of my favorite places to go as a kid. I have, I cannot remember for the life of me why. I think it had to do with the fact that they did a lot of cool shit for kids in there like taking a tour through the heart and then of course he's trying to have his first kiss but he basically gets rid of um you know the hormone monster by distracting him with this deadbeat personality of this radio dude who's you know just by far hilarious and then like Gunnarsson or something like that and then all of a sudden uh you know the hormone monster shows up and he has the severed head of the dead guy and then he, of the radio person he goes there's only one way to make you shut up Ugh. and then he just starts fucking the head and then he's like Garrison no and it's just another funny creepy ass moment that really put me on the edge of my seat and had me laughing my ass off and then of course there's an episode the head push that one was another good one where basically uh, Leah hosts a party for a high school drama crowd and Nick wrestles with a romantic dilemma where he meets this girl, uh, you know, something Levine, the blowjob queen or the blowjob machine. Tallulah Levine, the blowjob machine. So now Nick thinks that he's going to get a blowjob from this girl. But he finds out later that was a name she was given even though she never gave the guy a blowjob because this was basically a guy who's called a head pusher because he's one of those guys that during sex he takes he grabs the back of the girl's head and pushes it down to imply that he wants a blowjob and they were arguing over you know the head push is it good is it bad whatever and then of course they have like a Seinfeld moment where basically Nick and Jesse are at a table and talking like they're uh I'm assuming uh Jerry and uh the girl on Seinfeld whose name I can't think of right now cuz I never watched the show uh I know it's uh Louis 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 Draper was the was the girl was the actress I can't remember the character's name and then all of a sudden Jay who's Kramer slides in starts making uh offbeat jokes and everything else and basically the guy who's a head pusher basically they kick him out of the party beat the hell out of him it's hilariously funny and at one point they go like well if you don't how else are you supposed to ask for a blowjob if you don't do the head push and then uh that's when the hormone monster shows up and says, you lean back, you arch your crotch in the air, and you say, a dinner is served. And it's just, it's like a what the fuck kind of moment. And then, but the season finale is the craziest one because it's the pornscape. Where basically Andrew, uh, basically Missy breaks up with him because she realizes that being with Andrew is just too much for her. He drowns his sorrows in a sea of porn and becomes hopelessly addicted to porn. To the point where he's watching everything on the internet and then he gets sucked into 
the Pornscape, which is literally another dimension filled with porn that he's basically enjoying. And then all of a sudden, Nick has to go with the hormone monster into the Pornscape in order to save Andrew. And at one point, they get sucked into a porno that apparently Sylvester Stallone had made years ago uh, before he ever got Rocky. Apparently, he did a porn. And these two teenagers, Jay's brothers, they had the porn. So they had to go get it. And the reason they were going to get it at first by playing this game called Cream Cracker, where you basically put a cracker on the ground and you basically, your goal, the, the object of the game is to jerk off and come on the, uh, you know, cracker. And basically, whoever, whoever jizzes last has to eat the cracker. So Andrew realizes Nick is going to lose because he's not hit puberty yet, which means he has no semen to produce. So Andrew says, hey, can I look at the cracker? Grabs it, eats it really fast. Then they try to escape. The brothers chase after them. The mother, of course, is there. And then there's a crazy dog, like a rabid dog on a leash and just all this craziness. And they finally escape, but not before they find the Sylvester Stallone porn. So I'm only bringing that up to kind of explain how this happens. And then, of course, he gets sucked in. Sylvester Stallone is uh, doing this whole bit about who me? Yes, you couldn't be. Then who? Angel the cookie from the cookie jar. And then he's like, he's like, you're Sylvester Stallone. He goes, that's right. And this is cookie. She goes, my name is Tammy. Yeah, whatever. This is great. Hey, everybody. This is great. How you doing? You're a good guy. Hey, give me a kiss. Get the fuck out of here, man. This doesn't matter. This is great. So they do a whole Sylvester Stallone impression. And then they go searching through the pornscape. They eventually find Andrew. They rescue him. They bring him back to reality. And Andrew just realizes that, you know, porn is too much for him. So he eventually finds a normal way to get back to normal. And of course, Jesse and Jay, they run away together because Jesse's mad at his parents who are dysfunctional. Jay's got dysfunctional. So they start forming a relationship. And all of a sudden, they decide to run away to Mexico. And the scene, and it ends with them jumping in the back of a car of like a wagon of this guy who's driving to Mexico and they see the pillow with the kid in the back seat. And then Je- and then J- Jesse's like, who is she? And the pillow goes, where is family? Who the fuck are you, bitch? And Jay's just sitting there like, oh, Christ. Because now he's got to deal with both of these people. So, and that's what leads us right into season two, which I definitely think is going to be probably one of the craziest scenes ever. But one thing I will say is this. I've said a lot of vulgar things in this segment. That's only because this is a very vulgar show. So if you're one of those people who's not into jokes about sex, who's not into watching masturbation, who's not into listening to a lot of cuss words and a lot of, uh, you know, vulgar acts, this is not the show you want to watch. You want to stay as far away from it as possible. But if you love edgy, vulgar, sexual humor, this is the perfect show for you to watch. And it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. There's even a moment where Andrew's actually jerking off and staring at a cl- at a cat clock, and then he's like, and then the and the t- and then the uh, <laughs> then the horror monsters and the and then the hormone monsters going, look at that little clock tease, moving her eyes back and forth, just looking at you, asking who's got the cream, and Andrew's they're going, I am, I got the cream, as he's jerking off, like it's literally one of the creepiest scenes, especially since he's having a sleepover at Nick's house and he's jerking off like which is 
you know, one of the weirdest things you can do is be at a sleepover at a friend's house and jerk off. It's one thing when you do that. It's a whole other thing when you jerk off and you're in the same fucking room. Especially when we have no idea if he's covering that up with anything. But you you later realize he does use socks when he jerks off because he has a whole stack full of socks and he throws them in a dumpster outside of a synagogue where ironically a dead body gets thrown into and, it ha- and because it has all of uh, Angie's DNA on it, they think Andrew killed the guy. And then, of course, the parents are looking at him like he's a creeper. He's trying to explain he's innocent. He doesn't know what the hell is going on. And then he point, and then he, and then at one point, the horrible monster gets mad, punched a hole in the wall, and said, "Ooh, it's crotch level. The only thing wrong about it is the dick splinters." But then, of course, the dad sees that and goes, "Andrew, look what you did. Now I gotta go to Home Depot on a Sunday. Why?" And it's just another random funny line. I didn't really, it just sounded funny to me, but I don't really get what the humor's from. Uh, I don't know, maybe if you're Jewish, you'll find that funny, but I didn't get the joke. But aside from all that, I highly recommend Big Mouth to everyone. I would recommend this. Watch it, enjoy it, check it out. It's so much fun, and uh, you will definitely thank me after you've seen it. It is a fantastic, crazy show. And like I said, it gave me the inspiration to keep going with my cartoon and know that, you know, the edginess is going to be okay because this got a lot of great reviews. You know, it holds an 80 out of 100 rating and, you know, based on six critics, including, and it was generally favorable reviews. It has an approval rate of 100% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 17 reviews. With a critical consensus reading, Big Mouth's simplistic animation and scatological humor believe it's finely sketched characters and smart, empathetic approach to the messiness of adolescence. So even though it does have insane, funny, vulgar moments, it really does break down how crazy puberty is for young boys and young girls. And, you know, believe it or not, if you get past the comedy, if you get past the vulgarity, and look at this show at its heart and core, you could actually learn something. And I'll tell you what, this is better than any sex ed class you would take in school. All right, and that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this review of the first season of Big Mouth. We're going to take a short break here, and when we come back, we'll get into season two of Big Mouth here on the Boochcast. So you guys sit tight. I shall return right after this. You wanna do sex, but you feel real bad. But if my peanut gets shy, and nothing comes out. Just remember what I told you when you're feeling afraid. Even that guy for his gum, he won't stop Mommy 
Take this horse and I'll rumble for rumble too. Oh, I'm not gonna stop the left through doing sex on a lady! Got a beautiful voice, man. I know I tell you all the time, but you're the man, baby. Hello, and welcome back to the Boochcast. During the break, we played the song Doing Sex on a Lady! <laughs> By uh, Coach Steve on the uh, hit TV show Big Mouth. And uh, I know that was a, a horrible uh, hitting of the high notes there. But I figured since Steve fucked it up in the song, it would have the same comedic value if I did it here. Plus, this was my favorite song from season two. Just because Coach Steve, and I'm going to get into this a little bit more in this recap. Just the innocence and the naivete of his character is so amazing, so funny, and so entertaining that you can't help but like like him. He is weird, he is creepy, but he is so likable at the same time. Because he legit has no idea what the fuck he's doing when it comes to sex. And the fact that he's an adult and doesn't get it makes it even funnier. So I really wanted to play this song. I found it hilarious. I hope you guys did too. And that was uh, Doing Sex on a Lady from Big Mouth here on the Boochcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to commence with the review of Big Mouth Season 2. Now, the first thing that Big Mouth had great had a great many charms, but also a knack for getting in its own way. Uh, Coach Steve, for example, often felt like he interrupted the series' candid, you know, candid, surprisingly deep conversation about puberty, while the ghost Duke Ellington living in Nick's attic felt completely extraneous, save for one very smart, hilarious musical number. But these criticisms appear to have been heard as the second season really hones in on the puberty angle, looping in Coach Steve along the way, while dialing back pretty much every element that doesn't focus on the character's sexual awakenings. The ghost Duke Ellington appears in just three or four scenes this entire season. The result is a refreshed version of Big that's smarter, more focused, and occasionally quite emotional. And of course, after a shaky premiere that has the unfortunate task of resolving the season one cliffhanger, Jesse and Jay ran away only to realize very quickly that it wasn't meant to be and for the show to resume its status quo in episode two, which is kind of sad. I kind of expected more from that. You know, if you're going to rebel, like obviously, you know, a lot of people didn't like that particular uh, cliffhanger, but I felt, I wish they could have dragged it on for at least an episode or two before they brought him back. But to have it quickly resolved like that was just kind of meh. The second batch of Big Mouth settles into a more confident, consistent groove early on, while Andrew and Jay are mostly thriving in their ability to pleasure themselves. You know, they're obviously, you know, you know, getting a better handle of masturbation and learning not to overdo it, because as we all remember the Pornscape episode, where Andrew just completely fell into a dark dimension of, you know, pub- of porn and masturbation, which can be common for kid, for like, you know, young kids going through puberty. You want to watch as much porn as possible and you're masturbating profusely, but now they're actually getting into a better groove. Uh, Nick's decrepit hormone monsters all but ruining his puberty, especially with the introduction of Gina, who the boys only just noticed since she suddenly developed breasts but who, as Jesse points out, has actually been in their grade since the beginning. And this is another big thing that they talk about in the show, which is what I enjoy. They hit all the stages of puberty and get people to understand the mindset in a comedic way. Like, you know, when you notice a girl has... That's the thing about guys. If a girl has boobs, we are going to stare. We're going to look. And it's something that attracts us almost immediately. And the bigger the boobs, the more attention you get. You know, I don't know what it is about them, but we can just look at them and go, oh my God. It's just, it mesmerizes every single guy. And 
the fact that they played off of that was great. And at one point, um, you know, uh, I think Nick actually gets to, you know, date Gina, hook up with Gina, and they make out. And at one point he goes, um, I touched Gina's boob, and Bill and, and uh, Andrew and Jay went, oh my god, oh my god, this is so cool, this is so cool. Like, they literally start freaking out, like, oh my god, this is even better. And they're all jumping up and down like it's the greatest thing in the world. And, of course, Gina goes on to become one of the season's most thoughtfully written characters. A flashback to how she felt when boys started noticing her is an instrumental part of why the season works. But her entrance initially sparks more interesting storytelling opportunities for the female characters than the male ones. Episode 2 has a brilliant open-minded musical number about female body, positively, led by Maya Rudolph as Connie, the hormone monstrous, that delivers a strong message of acceptance to Jesse and Missy. And basically it tells them about, you know, everybody, every female body is beautiful, and they're like a bunch of naked women. Some of them are hot, some of them are not, some of them are young, some of them are old, but it gets the women to appreciate their bodies and who they are on the inside, and allows them to actually walk around with more confidence, especially Missy, who definitely is in serious need of a confidence boost. If anybody needed a confidence boost, it's definitely her. So it was great to see that. Season 2 also triples down on the musical numbers, each of which is an absolute delight. Though Big Mouth may be an absurdist take on male creators Nick Kroll and Andrew Goldberg's teenage growing pains, the show rides to success on a strong message of female empowerment. In some ways, the series feels like an assured answer to the long-running South Park, which has recently been forced into some conversations about our evolving understanding of gender and sexuality that the show's original premise about fourth grade potty mouths wasn't built to ever have. Big Mouth is built on the sole purpose of having those conversations to the point where this Netflix adult animated comedy is definitely more instructional and thorough than America's sex education practices at large. At one point, there's a perfect Bachelorette parody about women choosing the right type of contraception. And that one was great. Like, it had the it had the condom, the diaphragm came in, which is like, I'm just here for the food because I know you're not going to pick me. Because no woman uses a diaphragm anymore. They had, like, a patch. There was the IUD, everything else. And then, of course, in and, and just all this crazy stuff. And it basically talks about, you know, the birth control pill, which is another big one. And I thought that was great. Each of them picking and choosing their own ones. And, of course, there was a whole Planned Parenthood episode where they talk about the controversy about Planned Parenthood, about how... Some people think it's all about abortion and some people think it should be shut down and some people think that they provide an awesome service, an excellent service, and they're doing the debates. And even then, they just go, they even look at the liberals and go, are you happy now? We did a Planned Parenthood episode. Here you go. Kind of, you know, you know, breaking the fourth wall and comedic in that way. And they kind of do a whole Saturday Night Live thank you thing, which is kind of funny. And while Jesse, Missy, and Gina have to navigate how boys treat them based on their looks, Nick and Andrew are on a season-long lesson about how not to shame women. And the concept of shame plays an integral part throughout the season. To accompany the hormone monsters, a new mystical metaphorical force is introduced this season. The Shame Wizard, played by Harry Potter and Fargo's David Thelis, deliciously le- leaning into the role, he pops up to feed into every character's innermost insecurities as they grow into their bodies. The results are, some hyster- are sometimes hysterical, and the character does eventually get a lively musical number of his own. But the Shame Wizard is also pivotal in making Big Mouth a much more human series by having open conversations about what exactly makes the kids feel shame at different levels. Every character his Voldemort-like shadow creeps over instantly becomes more relatable and deserving of the audience's compassion. His first of many cunning appearances to Matthew, Big Mouth's resident gay character, suddenly opens the series up to a whole host of internal issues that lie outside of heterosexuality. It should be noted that 
out queer comedian Jabuki Young-White joined the writer's room for season two. This is a hugely important step for the series to take if it's going to be the all-encompassing look at adolescence that it wants to be. It's a joy to be able to write that Big Mouth season two takes that step earnestly and compassionately. Immune to the Shame Wizard, however, is Coach Steve, far and away the most improved element in season two. We learn early on in the new episodes, as surprising it may be, that the coach is still a virgin, and he's teaching the sex ed class, keep in mind. Where last season, his character mostly interjected jokes about being a sad adult, now his arc is tied to a similar sexual coming of age that the kids are going through. Being more central to Big Mouth's overall thesis actually brings the humor out of the character. Next to the hormone monster, he's the most consistent source of laughs this season. And considering how much deeper season two dives into the kids' psyches, the laughs are definitely needed. Between all the emotions, the Shane Wizard stirs up and Jesse's late season realization that her struggles might be more rooted in her chemical build than simple puberty. Big Mouth's se- second season proves it isn't afraid to challenge itself beyond the initial premise of kids going through bodily changes. What these ep- new episodes accomplish fearlessly is widening the scope of what the show wants to cover, but it's the sensitivity and honesty with which it covers these new elements that makes the series soar. Not every joke lands, but with the interception, introspection this deep, they don't all have to. And that's what makes it great. Would you know, the Shame Wizard is probably my favorite character because even though he's the villain in the movie and they eventually manage to banish and get rid of him at some point by no longer feeling shame, it does present that, you know, back and forth about shame. Because that's a big thing that we talk about today. Like everybody talks about fat shaming and slut shaming and this shaming and how you shouldn't have any shame. Hell, I've gone on record as saying, you know, after my time with the regular guys show, I have no shame left. Because I've embar- I, I went I did embarrass myself in ways I never thought possible. It's a joke I talk about in my act. But the the the, the thing about this the shame wizard is because the he even though he goes over the top with it, his intentions were good because the purpose of shame is not to hate yourself forever. It's not to dive into a deep depression, which I'm gonna get into that in a little bit. But it's about the fact that knowing that something you're doing is wrong. But what makes you have shame is that you want to control it. But shame mostly deals with your inner self. Like, it's something that you should be ashamed of yourself for certain things. But not everything. Like, certain things you should have shame for, certain things you shouldn't. I think that's the life lesson there. Like, there's no shame in being attracted to looking at a woman and finding her attractive. But you should be ashamed if you call her a slut and make fun of her just because she, you know, happens to, you know, like certain boy, like a lot of guys. Like, because to me, this has been my stance on slut shaming forever. I see nothing wrong with a woman who wants to have sex with a lot of guys. I don't. If you're single, if you're a woman and you're single and you have sex with a lot of guys, there should be no shame in that. Especially if the sex is consensual. If you're having consensual sex with a lot of guys, there's no shame in that. But. If you are married, if you're a woman and you're married or have a serious boyfriend and you sleep with a lot of guys and cheat on him, then you deserve to be slut shamed. That's where the slut shaming comes into play. That's where you should be ashamed because you're hurting somebody that you love, you know, and it tells that whole story. And then, of course, there's a scene where Andrew and this the the, the one chick, Lola, they start getting together and making out and everything. And then at one point, um, you know, it, you know, Andrew's about to break up with Lola, but Lola just starts like kissing and, you know, they start kissing and all this making out and stuff. And at one point they're dry humping to the point where he jizzes in his pants 
and Lola has and he and he has to wear these pink yoga pants with Lola's name on the back when he walks home. And then eventually later on he breaks up with her. So then all of a sudden she spreads this rumor about how oh Andrew did a hump and dump like hit it and quit it kind of thing. So now Andrew's being shamed all over by everybody and how he's an asshole. And you know even though Lola is fucking insane and there is every reason in the book to break up with this girl and it talks about that story. So that whole concept gets put into play. And even though Andrew eventually does apologize to Lola. Lola doesn't want to accept the apology. And then, of course, you know, the the gay character who, you know, who is ultimately, you know, the guy who makes fun of everybody and is a judgmental, you know, prick the entire time. You know, he eventually learns about humility and everything because they go to this, like, um, this singles uh, apartment building um, that Jay's dad owns. And, you know, uh, Jesse's father's moving in there because she kicks him out of the house because Jesse starts smoking weed. And he found it because... Now, his dad didn't give... Her dad didn't give her the weed. She stole it from her dad. But, of course, he, she blames him for it. And now they're going to kick him out of the house and wants nothing to do with him. So she, so he's now moving into this apartment building. And they talk about how it's, you know, a place for single dads and, you know, or for, you know, bachelor's pads and everything. And you realize how sad the place looks. And, of course, you know, Andrew's trying to deal with his own insecurities in there. They try to make him a pimp. And he tries to say, fine, if everybody wants to think I'm, I'm an asshole, then I'm just going to be an asshole. But then he realizes realizes deep down that's not who he is and he decides to walk away from all that eventually the dad gets out of the lease and everything and uh anyway while the gay character's there he meets this older guy who's gay he kind of teaches him look you know if you act like a pretentious asshole eventually you're gonna end up alone like me so he learns to be a lot nicer to people and to have that change of heart and at one point they do the spin the bottle game and jay actually has to kiss the dude and then they start having creepy moments and then you know the shame wizard comes in and makes him feel ashamed for making out with the gay kid so he makes fun of the gay kid and then they basically you know don't talk after that but now Jay's having to struggle with his sexuality a little bit because there's a chance he might be bisexual. And that's the thing that Jay starts to handle throughout the series. Is he a bisexual? Because he has sex with like a pillow that's a girl, but he also has sex with a, um, you know, a couch cushion that's a dude. And now he's realizing that he might be in some kind of weird sexual relationship in that regard. So Jay's now going through all of that. And then of course, um, Nick ends up, you know, losing Gina because when Nick tells the guys that about the touching about how he touched her boob when they made out you know he's just telling the the guys now Andrew and Jay they know to keep the secret but Jesse lets it slip out while she's arguing with another one of the girls and then they start spreading rumors about oh she's a slut and she should be ashamed for doing that which then causes another chain reaction as now she wants nothing to do with Nick and She's acting like Nick, you know, betrayed her trust and everything. And it's like, you know, Nick only told two, only told those three people. And Jesse was the one who ultimately spread the rumor around. But uh, as far as Gina's concerned, you know, Nick is still to blame. So that relationship goes in the toilet. And then, of course, um, in the end, uh, Nick tries to find a new um, hormone monster. Because obviously, you know, the old guy ain't cutting it. He's actually terrible at it. Like, his idea of masturbation is grinding your dick like a pepper thing that they have the Olive Garden where they 
like a pepper mill, pepper shaker thing. So, which any guy knows that that only works like a little bit. And honestly, the only time I've ever seen a guy get off on that is in a porno where a girl at one point was twisting the cock after much lubrication with her throat was done. Um, and even then, I'm like, I would never, I've never had that done to me. And I'm not really sure I want it to because uh, the interesting thing about me is, um, and I'll just get a little personal here for a second. I am very anti hand job. I hate hand jobs. My philosophy on sex is either blow me or fuck me. That's my philosophy. I've had women attempt to give me hand jobs before, and I've very rarely met a woman that's been able to do it right. Every every now and then, I've met a girl who's been good at hand jobs, but 99% of the time, the girl is basically pulling my dick off of, like ripping my dick off of my body, and I'm damn near ready to start crying by the end of it. Like I've never met a woman who's done uh, a hand job right, except for like a small, small handful of women that know how to do it, give a hand job. The rest of them are fucking awful at it. But anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. So over time, he tries to get Maurice. Maurice doesn't want to do it. Uh, he tries to get this one guy who's like this um, badass. He gets this one little kid that um, you know is like a he's like a, a hormone monster in training, and he finds out later that he's in cahoots with the shame wizard, and he was trying to make Nick feel ashamed about everything. So basically, he sucked as a hormone monster. So he ends up getting fired and being a secretary to another hormone monster who considers uh, taking Nick on, but in the end, he ends up getting he ends up getting um, Connie the hormone monstrous. So now she ends up teaching uh, Nick everything she knows, and because Connie, of course, is working with Jesse for most of the time, but then Connie's in a meeting with other hormone monsters in another dimension, and they find out that Connie's not doing the job right. So they bring in this depression kitty who basically brings Jesse into a into a padded room and basically makes her like you know eat a lot of food and sleep a lot and just basically puts her in a state of depression because that's another you know emotion that everybody feels like sometimes you just feel shame and sometimes instead of wanting to get angry and rebel sometimes you just feel depressed you just want to sit in your room and be away from everybody and just feel miserable and hating yourself even more and the depression kitty almost gets Jesse but eventually they bust her out um you know Maurice Connie uh, Andrew and Nick all manage to bust Jesse out they save her and then eventually she just decides to be a normal girl and go to therapy and figure out what the hell is wrong with her because obviously she's got some issues because Jesse used to be all about empowering women yet she slut shamed Gina out of jealousy because the truth is she was jealous of the fact that Gina that Gina was getting a lot of attention because she has big boobs and Jesse is still very much flat chested. So they goes through that story and tells everything else. And, you know, eventually the shame wizard becomes friends with Coach Steve, who we find out Coach Steve is a virgin, but eventually he loses his virginity by having sex with Jay's mom. And he jokingly says, like, I'll be your Gary. Because Gary and Gary is basically a guy who would go over to Coach Steve's house and have sex with his mom um, because his dad was either not in the picture or out of town and Jay's like you know uh, Jay's like I would be honored if you would be my Gary because basically you know his who's basically a guy who bangs Jay's mom and of course word gets out that eventually they argue and they're no longer friends and then Coach Steve eventually there's a huge fire and everything breaks out in the gym and then Coach Steve is held responsible and he eventually gets fired and loses his job so he's no longer a teacher and all this crazy stuff happens by the end of you know the seat by the end of this uh, series and you know everything just comes to a head and eventually um you know, it, it, it basically tells the, a puberty story in its own way and definitely is a way of, you know, getting people to, 
you know, really understand it. And as I mentioned before, this really, this season really dives into what the show is all about. And it relies more on lessons and emotion and, you know, less on comedy to get its point across. I feel like the first season was all about shock value. Let's make this as funny and raunchy and crazy as possible. But now that it's season two, let's really get into the story a little bit more. And I feel like this season was so good. I see no reason why it it won't get picked up for a season three. I highly recommend everybody checking out Big Mouth and really getting an understanding of a lot of the characters and the stories and everything else and if for no other reason this cartoon will entertain you in a way that most adult animated comedies don't because it's on Netflix so it has the freedom and range to do and say whatever they want and that alone in itself makes the show great when you have the freedom to to you know tell your story the right way that's the best part you know it doesn't have to be regulated by FCC or anything like that and they take this stuff to a whole nother level of insanity and obviously I'm gonna say this show um, is definitely still my favorite um, one of my favorites on Netflix and I look forward to getting into season 3 when it comes out alright and that ladies and gentlemen will conclude uh, my recap and my thoughts on uh, season two of Big Mouth. We're going to take a short break here, and when we come back, we'll get into season three of Big Mouth here on the Boochcast. So you guys sit tight. I shall return right after this. Hello, Lakeland. Y'all ready to rock in the sunshine state? They got rednecks wrestling my thoughts. They got drunk girls going wild. Party with Margarita Villa. Welcome back to the Boochcast. During the break, we played the song, Anything Goes in Florida, which is one of the songs from the third season of Big Mouth. And another reason that I chose this song is because joining me um, for this particular review of Big Mouth is uh, my good friend, Elvis Delinsky, who, like me, is a huge fan of Big Mouth. And Elvis, as he's mentioned before on uh, multiple variety shows in the past, used to live in Florida. 
for a good period of time. So Elvis basically uh, told me, and you'll hear more about this in the review, that every single thing that was said in that song is fucking true about Florida. That's a pretty accurate statement of what the fuck goes down in Florida. And he would definitely know better than me, because like I said, he's lived in Florida for most of his life before coming here to Georgia. And it was, it's a funny song. I love playing it, and I'm excited to jump into this review. So I'm just going to say, that was Anything Goes in Florida by Big Mouth here on the Booch Cast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to jump into the season three review of Big Mouth. This is a crazy-ass season, wasn't it? Well, obviously, I know the big song. TP fat guy sideways moon on the fat guy sideways comb. (laughs) (laughs) You're the man, Steve. (laughs) You're the man, Steve. This show is crazy. Oh, my God. Just when you think this show can't get any crazier. So, basically, this is what goes down uh, this season. Uh, The main tension of this season is between the two best friends, Nick Birch and Andrew Glauberman, uh, voiced respectively by Nick Kroll and John Mulaney, who I'm a huge fan of. Um, You know, Nick was a sensitive smart aleck to Andrew's nerdy pervert for the past two seasons, but now he's gotten more confident with the help of the hormone monstrous Connie, who is now helping Nick throughout this season. Of course, the show the show officially started with the Valentine's Day special, which was Fifty Shades of Fucked Up. I don't know if you saw that. I did. Yeah, and there's a scene like uh, where Andrew basically and and with, with his hormones raging and just getting out of control and pissed off over everything, he yanks a kid out of his wheelchair <laughs> to where even yeah. the hormone monsters like, dude, that was fucked like- up. Dude, I think he needs it. <laughs> it's like, you don't need that wheelchair. No, actually, Andrew, I'm pretty sure he needs the wheelchair. <laughs> no! <laughs> he just yanked his ass out. Everything's embarrassed. He's losing his hair and everything. Just It's Fifty Shades of Awkward. So It's pretty amazing. So season three picks up where that leaves off. And so Connie and her male counterpart, Maurice, have always been the absolute highlight of the show. Um, You know, basically, you know, they're going to be the subject of a newly announced spinoff series called Human Resources, uh, which I found out recently. Um, we'll get more on that in a minute. But the monsters serve as invisible mentors to the young heroes, providing deeply questionable advices about kissing, masturbation, sending dick pics. But now, Connie joins Nick after he had a succession of much worse monsters. Nick was late to develop, you know, and in season one, he was accompanied by the, you know, the monster Rick, the one that goes, what are you gonna do? That was basically his monster throughout most of the season until finally Connie showed up. Now everything is going crazy because she's giving terrible advice like encouraging Nick to kiss Andrew's ex-girlfriend. So you mean in the musical movie Disclosure? Yes. Oh my god. Like and this music, Oh my god. I, that, I can't believe You know what's cool about this show? What? It's like it's like they have all these like mu- uh, music montages, you know, where they just bust into song and dance. It's pretty amazing. It happens a lot. Yes. It really is. Like they come up with like the craziest shit ever that's so inappropriate, but it works cuz then you got this guy that's like this counselor who wants to talk to everybody about toxic masculinity and bullshit like that and he's basically a male feminist which anybody that knows a male feminist is the most annoying fucking person in the world because really they shouldn't you shouldn't even be called a male feminist they should be called captain sabaho that's what every male feminist is basically a guy pretending to care about women's issues so he can get some pussy as bill burr would say it's the lamest attempt to get laid he's ever seen in his life 
It works, obviously. It does. And of course, um, and of course, Jay, and of course, Jay was just as out of control trying to figure out what the fuck he is throughout the entire series. Just basically, just he's basically trying to fuck everything that moves. Jay is just completely off the rails this season. Are you saying he's? Are you trying to say that he's an ultimate fuck machine? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is the ultimate fuck machine. I didn't think it was possible. I'm 40. I'm 40. I'm a magician. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, one of the major highlights is Coach Steve, who we're all fans of. My favorite part is the fact that he's still trying to adjust to not being a, a coach anymore in gym class. So now he does like every every episode, he gets a different job, and they actually make reference to that. Like at one point, he's cleaning a bathroom; another point, he's running an ice cream stand. He's living in this like storage thing on a on a river barge that's like full of dumps, full of garbage, and he's a mannequin too. Yes, a mannequin. Oh, my God. And then he gets a visit from the Fab Five from Queer Eye as they try to remake his look. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and where does Steve live? He lives on a diaper barge? He has a diaper barge. And he's like, he's like, I don't really bring any food here because the seagulls come by and they just eat it all up. <laughs> and the guy comes in with seafood and then a bunch of seagulls just grab him and carry him away. Wow. And then all of a sudden he comes back, he's got his shirt off and he's like, and he's got them like on a string and he's leading them like a carriage or something. He's like some kind of crazy ass warrior or something. He loses his goddamn mind. He becomes like Aquaman, but for like seagulls. Exactly. And and then of course during the whole um we were talking before about the disclosure musical um the whole thing is designed to basically um it talks about the Me Too movement it talks about a lot of crazy things and out of everybody you would ever think would get sexually harassed on this show Lola becomes a sexual harassment victim oh no oh my God Vinny you won't believe what just happened Liger <laughs> decided you want to take me and massage his footsies just like my mom's ex boyfriend who kicked me out. <laughs> you're just sitting here going, wow. First of all, that is way too much information. Second of all, you're, you, the thing is that some of these things are so crazy, you almost forget. These guys are like in middle school. Like, this is some real sick, twisted shit. But yet, it's the funniest damn thing on the planet. And somehow they managed to uh, pull that off completely. And throughout the whole thing, Missy decide, goes from being this nice, sweet girl to just the bitch from hell. Which I think is great for her. She has her love interest, Nathan Fillion. <laughs> Nathan Fillion. And Jay actually helps her with her book. By trying to put more sex stuff in it, which I think is oh, genius. Oh, yeah, the book they wrote together. That's right, because she was reading it, and she's like, I'm not sure if you're for real. And he's like, oh, my God, that, that book gives me a hard-on. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, eventually, after a while, a bunch of people start protesting uh, the musical. Like, Jesse quits, along with a few others. And you find out that really, like, you find out a lot about Jesse, where she's trying to be this hardcore feminist, but really she realizes that it's because she's not on anybody's hot list. So she's just bitter about it. Jessie's kind of a bitch sometimes. She just can't figure herself out. Yeah. She's like the ultimate, like, libtard of the show. And it's like one minute she's, like, trying to protest against everything. Next thing you know, she just starts rebelling like crazy. Like, now, all of a sudden, she's sexually attracted to, like, Nick's crazy brother that's, like, almost guaranteed to go to prison if he hasn't already. Oh, Judd? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, Judd, the one who trained the raccoons to become caterers? <laughs> yes. Wow. That dude was, that shit was crazy. 
Like, literally, this dude is going to kill everyone, and she does not care. I can't tell if they're dogs. <laughs> I can't tell if they're dogs with masks or the hamburgers, hamburglers, robble, robble. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! There's just one crazy moment after another, and just and then and then and then like all just all the crazies happens, and then of course the um there was the moment where they where I think Andrew oh yeah this is my favorite right here Andrew when he goes to visit his cousin oh in Florida yes oh my goodness man like I told you Florida's crazy you guys don't listen to me Florida be crazy guys. <laughs> It's just like, Andrew Globerman goes on a family trip. He brings Nick with him because why we want to bring his best friend to the worst place in the world. Exactly. And the, and his dad is just a jerk in the car the whole time and because he's trying to get there at a reasonable time. He doesn't really want to go because he hates his brother. And so and all this crazy happens. And then you see the cousin and the cousin is smoking hot and Andrew's having mixed feelings because obviously he, can't, he, sh- he shouldn't be sexually attracted to his cousin, but he is. And then you find out that she's flirting with him throughout his for this but what's even crazier is I don't know if this is like her friend or her sister but like there's like the crazy redneck chick that likes Nick and she's like and every, and every five minutes she's like you want to sink a boat <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> Like yes, you can, I would love to go sing a boat. And then just talks about like all the dead bodies that are in the river and they start making all these obscene abortion jokes and it's just like, you realize how fucked up Florida is in this show. Well, and, they had a song about it. They had a whole song about that uh, trip, man. Like about Florida being the worst place. Yeah, I remember that. I can't remember the lyrics, but I remember the Florida thing was crazy. Yeah, and then of course after that, um, you know, eventually they get, take, they, they get in the car, they leave, the whole house like disintegrates or something i forget what started it but ultimately like all of florida is in ruins and they just get out of there alive and then during the and then of course during the musical you find out nick is slowly falling for missy but then you find out he doesn't really like missy he just felt this attraction to her during the play but it's not like a long-term kind of love and at first andrew feels betrayed then eventually he gives his blessing only to find out he doesn't really like her and then that causes a rift between them because there's this one episode where they all get fucking superpowers for no reason that was the best episode ever i fucking love that episode you did oh my god it was my favorite it's like uh who's the guy that wheelchair was like professor x nick uh, little Nick was like a big, huge guy. Loverman turned invisible. I know he farted, <laughs> and it made him invisible. But if he farted again, he turned back. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes he'd be completely naked and just be back to normal. It would be awkward. And then who was uh? God, who was uh? God, what's your name? Um, Loverman's first girlfriend, the girl with the glowworm. Um, Missy. Missy. What was her power again? Oh, she had storms. That's right. Yeah, she had storms. Like she made. Yeah, she changed the weather. She was like storm. And Jesse w- could touch you and make you tell the truth. Like her dad. Like her dad. Um, you touch her dad, and her dad admitted she doesn't remember. He doesn't remember her birthday or something like that. And it just got miserable. But then when he touched Nick, Nick, Nick realized, admitted he wasn't really in love with Missy. And then all the hell breaks loose. And then the episode ends where they're supposed to go to camp. And Andrew decides not to go to camp and decides he doesn't want to be friends with Nick anymore. Because apparently Nick is not a good friend to him or something. Or he feels like he's bad for him or a bad influence and decides not to hang out with him anymore. And that's pretty much where the big cliffhanger is. And I think he's a good, I think he's a good friend. You know, I think I talked about this before you watch season three or during you're watching it. And I rewatched it, you know, all three seasons because I love that show. Um, He's a good friend. He really is. He really is. Um, Let me see when 
Globberman lost his pillow or forgot his pillow, Pillow Baggins, at um, Jake Kazarian's house. Yeah. Who went back to get it? Nick did. Nick. When there was a school dance and Globberman came all over his pants and he tried washing in a toilet instead of the sink, who decided to go without pants? Nick. Nick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes a good point. And and not not only that, though, when Nick went to the big city and he lost his jazz hat (laughs) and he found um, Cantor Dino with with, with Red's, uh, with Red's mom, he had a chance to go meet The Rock. And go on a helicopter ride, but he decided to stay back with his friend. Yeah, that's that's a friend right there. If you're choosing your friend over the rock, yeah. And that and that girl. And that girl, yeah. That's that's a big deal. I definitely can agree with that. And I I think it's just mostly Andrew's just mad about you know losing Missy and everything else. I think that's mostly where that anger comes from. So yeah, I think I could see that. So I think that's probably why he's saying that. But I'm sure down the road they're gonna fix things because I don't see those guys done being friends for very long. Even though Missy swears off talking to everybody, and we find out that Jesse's moving into the city, so that's gonna be another big um, milestone. And then of course there's a there was another. Uh, um, one thing that another thing about this show that they do, they do a lot of like you know their own musicals, their own songs, and they actually had a song. Called, do you remember the song "Slut Walk"? Yeah. Like this anti-slut shaming pop song just comes out of nowhere. And it's like a hair metal style salute to like, and then they also, of course, they had the hair metal style salute to the many great things about Florida, and I think the Hormone Monster sings that and. Just all this crazy shit in between. Then you find out the story, the true story of Duke Ellington. Yeah. Like his backstory and how he got, how he, how he became, how he learned to play the piano, how he got all these chicks, how he, how his life got turned around and everything. And cause Jay's doing a paper on him and Jay ends up, um, like when Nick goes out of town somewhere, like while he's in Florida, Jay stays with Nick's family cause Jay's family life is fucked up. Well, plus, and plus they were bombing the house for yeah. fleas or something. They left Jay in the house and he went to the house to ask for scraps of food or like, you can stay with us. And I mean, you gotta remember, he does have video cameras uh, in the house, in his house, to watch his mother cook. It's like, oh, it's the Diane show. Yeah. <laughs> oh just, my god! I, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, as he says, dude, he goes, dude, it's just amazing watching her cook. <laughs> oh and, my god! I think I think this kid is on hormone monster. It's amazing. <laughs> And it's like, like, and the whole thing is just Jay trying to find out who he is. And then, of course, the, then of course the, the new girl comes in who's a pansexual who's basically just insane, I think. That's pretty much what it is. Like, like, she gives no answers to anything. She's like the hardest person to figure out. She's like, I like this, I like that, I like that and this, but not like this, but like that. I'm like, wait, it's all the same. Yeah, they're pretty much saying they're like, isn't it the same thing? And then, of course, like, Jay's bisexual, so he thinks, like, isn't this kind of similar to what I do? Or she's like, no, it's all over the place. And you find out that the voice of that new girl is Ali Wong, who I think is perfect for that. Because Ali oh, Wong Ali is Wong already, is... Oh, you know who she... do you know who Ali Wong is? I have to look her up now. Yeah, well, she's she's a comedian, but she does she's mostly like she's done two Netflix specials. She's pregnant in both of them, and um, she does she also has um a movie on Netflix called Always Be My Maybe. I know who this lady is. Never mind. Yeah. I'll take that back. Yeah, she does. She like they're saying her 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 stand up material is tailor made for this type of character, like tailor made. So I think it's perfect. And then you know Jay, you know of course comes out as bisexual as well, and he's trying to figure shit out. So when Ali announces she's pansexual, that kind of steals his thunder. So you're you're just seeing all this craziness unfold. 
from like I said, them going to Florida to taking, and then and then they next thing you know, they're taking Adderall to pass a standardized test. I do, I, I do like the the visual, the way it looked with um, how Adderall works in your brain. All right, maggots, let's all start working out. What is the word doing? And um, it just shows how it gets your brain in tune with what's going on. I'm like, that's that's a pretty good representation of what Adderall does. <laughs> yep, it's like it's like I can't. It's like I, I'm not sure what we're gonna do. Get up and get moving. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> And I think it was Jay that got the Adderall, right? Yeah, because uh, uh, Nick's mom took him to the hospital, and then he took it, and he was like, on time, and he was doing great things, but he decided he wanted money instead. So he started selling off his Adderall. Next thing you know, everyone's taking the standardized test and passing it, and it's like crazy. So, so you're telling me I'm like a store? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Open for business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that show, like, it's, I remember my brother told me about it, and uh, he told me, you gotta watch Big Mouth, I'm like, alright, like, it's got Nick Kroll, it's got Jason Manzoukas, I'm like, okay, that's cool, but it's like, one of those things where, you know, you know, someone tells you it's good, but you don't really watch it right away until you have the time for it, so I think at the time I was watching a different show. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I was like, I'll just wait. You know, there's there's no big rash to watch it. So then I watched like the first three episodes. I'm like, oh man, this thing's amazing. Um, and then I started watching that. That show was just uh, from beginning to end. And they told me to make a new season. I think I watched it Valentine's Day because it came out by itself. I think I watched it two or three times. You know? Yeah. But it's it's a good one. I like it. I do too. I I, I mean, the weird thing was that I stumbled. Actually, this is one of the few Netflix shows that nobody recommended to me. I just stumbled upon it by accident because it was right around like when. When we were starting out the cartoon, like putting the script together and everything, I was trying to think about how I wanted it to be animated, how I wanted to look. So I, so I watched Big Mouth to kind of get a feel for how the animation, because it was the first animated show that really popped up in my feed about recommendations. So I thought I'd watch it to get an idea of how, how I wanted our char- how I want the characters to look, and how I wanted to flow. And I just ended up loving the show. It was making me laugh like right out of the gate. Like I think the hormone monster was really what sold me. Yeah, it was, it was pretty nice. And it just got better and better and funnier and funnier. And Netflix seems to agree because they made a big announcement uh, recently. Um, so the good news is Netflix is renewing uh, Big Mouth for a fourth season. What? They are renewing it. There will be a season four. But turns out they they have so much confidence in this show, it's been renewed all the way to season six. Wait, wait, wait. So wait, three more seasons? Guaranteed. A season four, a season five, and a season six of Big Mouth on Netflix. Man, that's pretty awesome because that show is pretty good. I was thinking I'll get another season or two, but three for sure in the bag? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm all for it. And it's also part of another deal that they're making with the production company. I think Nick Kroll is part of the production company that produces the show. So they're going to be producing some other shows for Netflix as well. So as part of the deal, they're extending Big Mouth all the way to season six, which I'm happy about because this show obviously gets better and better every season. It really does. Have you seen the Nick Crawl show previous to Big Mouth? No, I haven't. I think it was on MTV or something, and they had like two or three seasons. So if you guys have like this streaming device, like either, I'm not sure if it's on Netflix. I don't think it is. It might be on Hulu. Uh, but maybe if you look it up on YouTube, maybe they'll have some episodes. It's pretty awesome, man. It's pretty funny. It's it, If you like the humor for this, this, this is exactly where it's coming from. Nick Kroll's brain. Yeah. And, of course, uh, Andrew Goldberg, Mark Levin, and Jennifer Flackett were also part of the, cre- of the uh, creative team behind this. And, you know, obviously I 
I know a little bit about Nick Kroll, but not a lot. But I'm a huge John Mulaney fan. I've gotten well, to watch. Me too. I mean, and I became a fan by watching his specials on Netflix. I never saw him on Saturday Night Live or anything like that. I just happened to see one of his Netflix specials, thought it was great, and every time he comes out with a special, it's just better and funnier than the last. So I've so I, I like John Mulaney. I love John Mulaney. Nick Crow, I got used to him when uh, I felt like um, and MTV had a show called uh, Human Giant. They had Paul Shear. Um, he's also in like the league and all of them. Um, Nick Crawl was on there a couple of times, and then it had like um, I forgot the other guy name. And then Nick Crawl came in to that same little circle. You always saw them in the movies together, pretty much. They have a podcast called How Did This Get Made? And what they do is they listen to old movies, and it's usually just Paul Shear and Jason Manzukis who plays Jay. And Nick Crow is like a, a, a regular in it show because they have like i think over 250 episodes podcast shows yeah and they travel a lot like they go to live audiences and they go out there and they watch these movies together at the end they have a q a with the people so there's like if you have any questions pertaining to the movie let us know but it's really smart and really done well so jay i hear a lot nick crow i see him plenty of times and his own show and other small little shows um they do a lot of stuff on adult swim like um they do like this show called ncu vip van or something yeah and uh children's hospital they do a lot of different stuff so it's it's really i mean nick crow's pretty funny i think especially in the league if you ever watched the league i've never seen the league so nick and jay's on that show okay and uh what they're doing is like they're all like four friends obviously um and what they do is uh they they're really big into football so they have a football league and uh it's just the, the hilarity between the friends of all of them especially hearing having nick and jay you know play it's on fx i'm just having those people but paul shears on that show too and he's hilarious oh yeah definitely he's hilarious i couldn't agree more but um yeah i mean i listened to the podcast which you know big shout out if you want to listen to uh something funny for about an hour and a half i mean listen to this podcast first love it download it share with all your friends any of your friends friends your friends friends even like your grandma the grandma who plays bridge down at the fucking yacht club whatever tell her about the podcast have her listen to it have her love it and have all her friends donate to the show on patreon go on sorry <laughs> no absolutely dude I, I, nothing wrong with that I want people to down, I want people to check us out on patreon you know support the show go to patreon.com slash the uh, we got great rewards for great patrons and whatever you donate helps us keep the show running uh we have you know like i said you can go from anywhere from as little as one dollar a month you can donate to help keep this show going because we know money's tight so if you don't have a lot of money to spend just send us just just arrange to send us one dollar a month and you're helping us contribute to the show if you got some extra spending cash and you want to take advantage of some of the other rewards we got by all means partake in that as well i mean you got a couple options you got the amazing pizza baby uh t-shirt the best seller so far off of booch's merchandise that thing's amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm going to hand draw it myself. And you know what, though? I will hand deliver it to you myself. I'll just get a white t-shirt that says Pizza Baby. that has a baby on it with a bit of pizza. And you'll get it delivered by me and included for free. You will get a free hug from the one and the only Elvis Delancey. So you're welcome, folks. This is just for you. Yes, absolutely. And uh, Elvis, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, man. And that, ladies and gentlemen, I think will conclude the review of Season 3 of Big Mouth. We highly recommend it. Make sure you check it out. We've hit some of the major highlights of the show. But to really get a feel for it, you got to check it out on Netflix. 
And uh, once again, Elvis, thanks so much, man, for uh, joining us this week. Wow, I've really gone through changes. <laughs> I'm going through changes All in right. my life. Ah, man, we look forward to hearing more of those changes. And, of course, thank you for joining us for the Season 3 uh, review of Big Mouth. We're going to take a short break here, and when we come back, we will get into the Season 4 review of Big Mouth here on the Boochcast. So, you guys sit tight. I shall return right after this. Oh, how I'm going to go for fear and follow, time to hold I'm a Welcome back to the Boochcast. During the break, we played the song, What You Gonna Do? Mostly because it was Elvis and my favorite catchphrase from the show, Big Mouth. We both quote it all the time, like, What You Gonna Do? You demand, Steve. We talk about that. We do that a lot. So it's uh, that's one reason. And the other reason was because before I decided to do this compilation, if I had gotten to do season four of Big Mouth in the past, I would have called the episode, What You Gonna Do? Because I think it's hilarious. I love that phrase. I love that song. I thought it was perfect uh, for what we're doing here. So that's why I played it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And now we're going to jump into this review as that was What Are You Going to Do here on the Boochcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we can get started with the review of Big Mouth Season 4. Now, this season was, just like the others, fucking insane. It's like they find new ways to get grosser, disgusting, and really look at the human body in different ways. And I find it weird that they have animals, or like monsters, I should say, for each fucking thing that you go through in life. And they get more and more creative as the show goes on. So now the show starts off with uh, all everybody going to camp. They're at summer camp. Now Nick arrives at camp and he meets up with his friend Seth Goldberg. Their cabin meets Natalie, a former member of their cabin who has transitioned. So basically, Natalie is basically a transgender uh, character. And this is one of the things that Big Mouth likes to do is be all-inclusive, but in a comedic way. So it's not like a woke type of show. It's not like a politically correct bullshit type of show. It's an educational show that's also hilarious. 
So they'll talk, they'll, they're inclusive with LGBT people. They're supportive of LGBT, but they're not kissing anyone's ass either. They're making it entertaining in its own way. Now, obviously the boys all make Natalie uncomfortable and she ends up switching to a girl's bump because apparently the guys are either like attracted to Natalie or they don't know how to react around Natalie. And it tells an interesting story here. Because that is something that, you know, people have to adjust to in those situations. Now, obviously, if somebody is a transgender and decides that, you know, I was a boy, but now I'm a girl, and they're transitioning or going through a transition and all of that, then obviously, you know, for some guys, that's going to be a little bit like a what the fuck? Like, you were a dude just a year ago, now all of a sudden you're a girl. And for some guys, that takes a little bit of adjusting to, especially when you're in an immature environment that they're in. And then you go through the process of switching Natalie over to the girls' bunk, and the girls are all treating her weirdly, and Jesse hates her until she realizes she is all alone, and the two become friends. Because obviously they're uncomfortable because, like they said, they're, you know, Natalie was just a boy, so now the girls are kind of freaking out. Like, what the heck is this? What's going on? And everybody's all confused. And here's the thing. I'm kind of having mixed emotions about this in the series. Because on the one hand, I like the fact that they're talking about it, and they're addressing it and trying to, you know, have some type of dialogue about it in the show. But at the same time, and we're going all the way back to like season one here, these kids are in middle school. Like nowhere in here do I see anything about them, you know, graduating and going to high school from what I can recall. So to my knowledge, unless I miss something in the series, they're still in middle school. And it kind of walks that line about, you know, kids being allowed to transition, which I am, that's one thing I'm completely against. Like, I believe if you're transgender and you decide you want to be transgender, you make that choice as an adult. When you're a grown legal adult and you either feel like you need to go through this or decide you want to go through this or whatever, that's an adult decision. I don't believe that teenagers or especially people going through puberty should be making those kind of decisions or going through that shit. And I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable when you're listening to this, but I believe when it comes to kids, this is kind of a fucked up thing. Now, obviously, this is an animated cartoon, so I'm able to overlook that because it's a cartoon. It isn't an actual real person, you know? And that's the beautiful thing about animation is they're able to get away with shit they could normally never get away with. You know, some people are going, really, Vinny, that makes you uncomfortable? And not the fact that there's middle school kids jacking off in a series? Like, look, I'm just talking about the topic in general. Obviously, in the show, I was able to overlook that. But I'm just saying, that's a, this is the personal opinion that I have. I believe that, you know... No no teenager or no kid should be transitioning in any way. But I also know from an animation standpoint, they had to include that in order to have the conversation and explain a person that is going through puberty and having those kind of questions, not just about their sexuality, but about who they are. So they did a good job explaining it. So from that angle, I can be okay with it in this series. Like, obviously, it didn't piss me off. I wasn't going on social media. I wasn't losing my goddamn mind because I don't do that. When I, have an opinion, when I have opinions like this, I don't go on social media and lose my fucking mind and go crazy. I just talk about them here on the podcast. This is the closest you're ever going to come to hear me saying opinions on subjects like this. I save it for my podcast because this is where I talk about thoughts, opinions, logic, and things of that nature. So I'm just happy to bring it up because it happens to be 
in this episode. And obviously, Jesse later becomes friends with Natalie. Andrew arrives at the camp after his parents drop him off, and Nick attempts to make him jealous until Seth and Andrew start becoming friends. Because Seth and Andrew, turns out they have more things in common. Uh, the, you know, the, the Jewish aspect, I think, kind of helps out a little bit. You know, that helps them find common ground. Um, you know, Nick obviously starts to feel left out because Nick's not as cool as Seth and Andrew are. Now, obviously, Andrew is obviously, in general, not a cool person, as we've established. But the fact that he is more in touch with his, you know, sexuality as far as puberty goes than Nick is because Andrew is blooming and evolving faster than Nick is because Nick's very much a late bloomer, as we've established in this series. He starts to get along with other people more. Now, eventually, Nick has a mental breakdown, runs into the forest, has a panic attack, and is bitten by a mosquito named Tito. And again, this is where you know the monsters and the animals kind of come into play or in this case an insect because basically the mosquito is basically an anxiety mosquito and this is meant to be a representation of you know having panic attacks having anxiety and the thoughts that go through your mind when you have anxiety and that's like I said that we've had with different people in the series like obviously there's the hormone monsters that are talking about the hormones raging and the sexual thoughts that you get as a you know child going through puberty obviously they have uh, the shame wizard who we've sta- who we met before who is all about you know making people feel ashamed for things that they've done and sometimes shame overtakes them they have the depression kitty that's all about what you what your thoughts and what you go through when you're dealing with depression well the mosquito deals with the anxiety basically is saying things like you know oh my god nobody likes me nobody thinks I'm smart what if what if people don't laugh what if people don't think I'm a good singer like all the ang- all the panic attacks that go through your mind and that sometimes you're giving to yourself even though the people around you might not even think the horrible thoughts that are going through your mind but you're sitting there thinking nobody likes you when in reality a lot of people do so again the the mosquito was able to bring that to light and then later on they have a there's a disaster showering with the boys nick decides to hold off on showering because again he realizes that uh again he's a late bloomer so everybody else is getting pubes and nick has none or or at least one from what i can remember uh also you know we've established established in the series that uh andrew's packing heat and uh nick is not so he knows that he's not really like in line with the big boys and they don't know if it's because he actually has a small dick or because he's still going through puberty and it hasn't quite taken form yet you know and that can happen and that's that's a very insecure thing for any teenager to go through that's why I've, i've never understood like showering after gym class or anything like that or having the the group showers like that was weird to me because you know you're always nervous like you know what if my dick is small and people are gonna point and laugh and you know then but then of course you know you become in the real world you realize if someone does point and laugh at you for having a small dick the first question people are gonna ask is why the fuck you looking at his dick what are you gay and then that whole thing breaks out and I learned that just from high school. Like, I think one time a guy was staring at me in the shower and tried to point and laugh at everybody. And then everybody's looked at him like, dude, why are you even, why are you even staring at his dick? What's wrong with you? And, and that was when I was on the wrestling team and we had an away game where we were, you know, showering. Because usually in, when I was in high school, the showers we had had stalls. So we couldn't even look at each other. 
But then we would go to like certain other schools where they didn't have stalls, it was all a group shower. We all had to kind of sit next to each other and shower. Stand next to each other and shower, I should say. Because if you didn't shower after practice or after a match, you were kicked off the team. Like you had to shower before you even got on the bus because they were strict on that for obvious reasons, you know, health reasons and things like that. But anytime you're in a group showering situation, it can be uncomfortable for kids. For adults, not so much. Because adults, as you get older, you're like, look, we're not going to worry about that. We're too old for that shit. We just want to shower and get out. Most people don't even want to talk when they're in there. Unless you're in there with like a buddy or something and he's on one end of the shower and on the other end of the shower and you're just like, yeah, whatever, what are you doing? But meanwhile, Jesse gets another period of camp and learns how to insert tampons. So again, this is another aspect of the puberty thing that they're going through. Now they're having, to, Jesse's now having to learn the art of inserting a tampon, pulling out a tampon, using maxi pads and things like that. And that's stuff that, you know, you, you, the last place you ever want to learn something like that is at summer camp. And, you know, you, and, that, and, and that's one of, the, again, it's one of those rare things that, you you know, if you're a girl, the only person that can teach you this at the end of the day is another girl. You know, that's why guys, whenever they find, like, if you're a single dad with a daughter and, you, you know, as soon as you find out your daughter has had her period, you're losing your fucking mind. It's because I don't know what to do here. It's not just because, oh, my little prince, my little girl is all grown up. It's not just that. It's what the fuck do I do? Or, or even single moms with boys. If you got a boy that's going through puberty and having wet dreams and shit like that, most of y'all are like, what the fuck do I do here? Like, and every parent's going to try to find the answer because you're too stubborn to admit that you need help from someone of the opposite sex, whether it's a wife or husband or girlfriend or boyfriend or female friend or male friend, like, hey, how do you do how do you do this here? In fact, I'll tell an embarrassing story right now. Um, at the time that I'm recording this, this happened a few days ago, but at the time you're listening to this, it happened a while ago. But I had a situation where I was at my buddy's house and my niece, who's three years old, had to go to the bathroom. She needed somebody to help her pee and nobody was there to help her. So I'm like helping her get ready, helping her get on the toilet so she can go and pee. And I don't know what I did wrong, but I, and this is how dumb I am. Cause again, I don't know the female body completely. I'm just, I sit her on the toilet thinking, okay, I sit her on the toilet and it's going to go straight down. Nope. It came straight out. And somehow she went to the bathroom and she got some in the toilet, but the rest was like all over the fucking room. You would have thought there was a dude in there like swinging his dick around. That's how much mess was in the bathroom and I'm sitting here going how the fuck did this happen but I just didn't tell anybody I just went and grabbed a towel and cleaned it up and you know helped her wipe obviously and got her dressed and got her in the fucking clothes and went on as if nothing ever happened but I gotta tell you it was the weirdest most uncomfortable experience and in that moment I realized if I have a kid of my own and I have a daughter I'm fucked if I gotta raise her by myself like I would need a, a, a female somewhere to help me with this shit because I'm not gonna know what the fuck to do and it was literally the most uncomfortable moment. And here's the thing. I didn't even tell anybody what happened. The only way they're going to know about this is they happen to listen to the show. But trying to help my three-year-old niece use the toilet was one of the most craziest, uncomfortable experiences of my life because I completely fucked this up. I was like... I am a fucking idiot and I learned that on that day. Like I, that's why I keep, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If I ever become a dad and I have no plans to do that anytime soon, but if I ever become a dad, please God, let me have a son. If I have a daughter, I am screwed. <laughs> I'm going to need a lot of fucking classes because health class was, did not help enough. So anyway, Jesse's going through the whole, uh, you know, tampon ordeal. Meanwhile, Missy and her parents travel to Atlanta to visit her cousins who help Missy embrace her black identity. And this is another interesting topic that gets discussed um, in this series is that uh, Missy is basically being told that she's not black enough. And that's another big issue that people have is that, you know, unless people think that, oh, if you're black, you 
have to behave a certain way or you have to act or walk or talk a certain way or you have to have these thoughts, these opinions, these ideals. And if you don't fall in line with this, you're not black enough, which is the dumbest fucking thing on the planet Earth, okay? And what's funny is this is usually something that happens within the black community because I got news for you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, It don't matter how you behave. It don't matter how you act. If you got black skin, people are going to look at you and go, you're black. But for some reason, for some people in the black community, it's considered a state of mind, which is, again, fucking stupid. I say, if you got black skin and you were born black, you're black no matter how you behave. You're not more or less black because you don't listen to gangster rap or you don't cornrow your hair or you don't eat these type of foods or drink these type of beverages or live in this part of town. So if, you're, if you lived in the suburbs and had parents who raised and had two parents who raised you properly, that doesn't make you any less black than someone who's growing up in a single parent household in the projects. It just means that you were raised by parents who just so happened to have their shit together. And they happen to be raised by a parent or parents who don't have their shit together. It's simple as that. You're not more or less black because of your environment, but they put Missy through that. And that's when Missy starts to, and I hate to use this term, but I'm going to use it here to explain how this progresses throughout the season. They're trying to get her to act blacker, which is a stupid thing to say. And I, and I agree it's a stupid thing to say, but I just have to use that term to explain Missy's behavior throughout season four. Then they get to the last day of camp. So the camp Camp only lasts like three episodes in this 10 episode season. So they spent three of them at camp and the other seven, they're back in the real world. And Nick ends up bombing at a talent show. Uh, his jokes were not funny. He didn't have a lot of talent at this thing and he just fucking breaks down. And Andrew deals with constipation. Now, this one right here, this is gross. This is disgusting. But it also, I related to this on so many levels because Andrew basically would not take a shit the whole time he was at summer camp. He would not take a shit the entire time time and then one day it finally caught up with him and then just one big giant shit comes out and the way it happens is almost like Andrew's giving birth and Nick is holding his hand and they're talking back and forth as if a birth is taking place like he's telling him like breathe breathe I got you I got you you I got you I'm not going anywhere I got you and then finally he just is like push push and he ends up taking a giant shit and I somewhat related to this in a way because when I went to summer camp when I was a kid I was gone for I can't remember if it was a, it wasn't the whole summer. It was at least a week because I was doing a summer camp thing with the scouts and the latrine was so dirty. I did not take a shit for the entire week I was at summer camp. I did not shit. I would pee, but I would not shit at all. I was so constipated when I got home. When, when I finally got home and my parents picked me up and I got back to the house. As soon as I got back to the house, the first thing I did before I did anything else, I immediately jumped out of the car, ran into the house, went upstairs to the bathroom, shut the door, and for the next hour and a half, I was in there taking a shit. I was in there for at least an hour and a half, maybe two, trying to go to the bathroom because I held it in for an entire week. So my parents who wanted to say hi and were happy to see me and wanted to know, hear about the experiences, they pretty much had to ask me in the car. And I'm like answering questions while at the same time, like dealing with dealing with the constipation and then finally Finally, just bam. I went home and just took care of business. And it was, it was not fun, ladies and gentlemen. It was not fun at all. I tell you that right now. It was not fun. Now, of course, Seth and Natalie, they hook up. 
because, you know, Natalie, like I said, Natalie is coming into her womanhood and Seth is realizing he's attracted to Natalie, even though they're saying she's transgender, Seth is realizing he has feelings for Natalie, which is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, but again, it's going to be one of those things where Seth's trying to make, starting to question his sexuality. Like, does it make me gay that I like Natalie? Because she used to be a guy and now she's a girl. But is is it wrong? Is, what's going on? And these are these are questions people ask themselves. And it's not, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with asking yourself those questions or having those thoughts. The only thing that's wrong is that if you're, is, is for you to take the frustration out on the other person. As long as Seth doesn't say anything mean to Natalie or is violent towards Natalie in any way, he's allowed to sit there and have those questions and try to figure shit out for himself. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, back in Westchester, Jay and Lola invite their friends to a pool warming party. This is where shit gets crazy because Jay is basically digging a hole to build a pool in his backyard. But here's the problem. You can dig a hole to make a pool, but until you put the actual pool inside there, like the tile and the brick or whatever or whatever it is you're using on the outside of the dirt to fill with water or the marble or whatever it is you're using, when you fill it up, you're just going to have mud. You're going to have a mud pit, basically. And that's what he ends up having. And then, of course, during this whole mud pit thing, Jay and Lola, they start hooking up and they start dating and they start going through a very toxic, fucked up relationship. Then they go to the first day of eighth grade where Nick and Andrew try to hook up with two seventh grade girls. And basically, they're like the same height and eye level with both of them. And they try to hook up and they strike out horribly, mostly because they fought, you know, they, they're originally dating these two, they, you know, they pick the girls they want, but eventually they find themselves being attracted to the other one, so they want to flip-flop, and that obviously pisses the girls off, because uh, girls don't like to be passed around. Okay, I should say 90% of girls don't like to be passed around. There's there's another 10% that don't mind it, but there's 90%, most of them don't. Don't take the gamble. And then in New York City, Jessie's having trouble adjusting to her new school, because obviously with her parents being separated or divorced, I can't remember which one it is. I think they're divorced. Um... Jesse now is kind of going to a different school because she's now living with her dad because she wants nothing to do with her mom. Mostly because her mom is the one that broke everything off with her dad because she was becoming a lesbian and all that. And Jesse blamed her for, you know, tearing the fa- for tearing for divorcing her dad and leaving and tearing the family apart. So she goes to live with her dad and she's adjusting to her new school. And basically she's adjusting because it's a prep school. Everybody in there is highly intelligent and Jesse is not. I mean, she's a smart girl, but she's not like at an intellectual level that these preppy kids are at. So she's dealing with that. Then the kids go on a field trip to the National September 11th Memorial Museum that shows, talks about 9-11. Nick and Andrew did a trip to meet up with Jesse and her new boyfriend, Michelangelo, <laughs> which by the way, that's not one name, by the way. His first name is Michael. His last name is Angelo. And Jesse obviously likes this guy because he thinks he's deep and he's cool and all that. And, you know, Jesse is smitten with this guy. Now, Matthew decides to mess with Coach Steve, whose birthday happens to also be on September 11th, but feels bad after Coach Steve learns about the attacks. Because his birthday is on September 11th, and, you know, obviously Coach Steve is happy because it's his birthday, and, you know, he's overly excited about it, and Matthew wants to mess with him about it, but when Steve, Coach Steve learns about the 9-11 attacks, he now feels guilty about having a birthday, or feels like he can't celebrate his birthday, and that's fucked up. I think that's fucked up for anybody to go through. Now, obviously, it's funny that Coach Steve was not aware of the 9-11 attacks when it's been almost a decade at this time since 9-11 took place but it also tells another story and that's another good thing here they tell another great story and that story is how do you react when your birthday is the same day as a national tragedy 
Or if you have a, an anniversary or something and something tragic happens on that day and now you can't even celebrate your birthday, you can't celebrate your anniversary because the only thing going through everyone's mind is this horrible tragedy. I couldn't imagine, like, I couldn't imagine having my birthday on September 11th. I really couldn't. If I was born on September 11th, I don't know how I would celebrate my birthday. I don't know if I would get people to even come to my birthday if I was having a party. That's awkward shit to go through. So again, they're telling another great story and bringing real life in in a comedic way. Because Coach Steve is perfect for doing comedic stuff because he's the funniest guy on here. Then you have Missy and Devon who distance trip to meet up with her cousin Lena as Devon teaches Missy about code switching, which is when a speaker alternates between two or more languages or language varieties you know, being multilingual. Then there's one episode that fucking, they just time travel to the year 2052. I couldn't even imagine what that would be like going to the year 2052. It's like, Jesus Christ, I'm 65 at that point. By that time, I'm qualifying for retirement. But in the year 2052, Nick is now a successful game show host in a dystopian earth with only a robotic assistant modeled on Andrew as company. Shaken by the news of Missy's death, Nick is given two passes for a space arc as the planet will be ending the next day. After going through old contacts, he picks Jesse to join him. Now an activist protesting for the downtrodden. That's what Jesse's doing now in the year 2052. On his way to the funeral, Nick crashes on a street and is taken by Jay to his childhood home, where he and Lola run a sex cult and have Nick's parents as sex slaves. I don't know why, but this makes perfect sense. Because Nick's parents, when it comes to sex, are two of the most fucked up people on the planet Earth. I'm sorry, but they are. I can just imagine them being sex slaves. I really could. At the funeral for Missy, Nick approaches Jesse, who agrees to go with him. The two flee when a recorded message of Missy plays, revealing that she was murdered and the existence of the space arc. After making their way through angry mobs and wasteland riders, the two proceed to the Ark and have sex as the planet is destroyed. However, Nick is unable to perform, shocker, and Jesse reveals that she only played him to get access to the ship and destroy it. Well, that's a cold-hearted bitch. As Jesse blows up the ship, Nick escapes in a spacesuit with Tito, the anxiety mosquito. So it's just the two of them left. However, the entire episode is then revealed as an anxiety dream Nick has on the bus from the previous episode. So... That's basically what this was. Nick just having a dream while they were on the bus ride to the September 11th museum. And Nick, for some reason, goes through this ordeal, which is, you know, I guess in some aspects it was funny, but I just felt like this episode was filler to get through to the next story. And the next story is, ironically, four stories in one. It's uh, basically four stories about hand stuff. After being upset from their exclusion from the previous episode, Maury and Connie watched four different stories about giving hand jobs. One is touched by a jangel. Rumors fly that Devon divorced Devin because he would not give her a hand job. After a poor attempt, Jay asked Lola to guide him through his hand job. The Handmaiden's Tale. Matthew hangs with Aiden's friends, and Maury suggests Matthew give Aiden a hand job. Of course, because Maurice is all about that. The Glauberman Method. <laughs> Nick is unimpressed with Andrew's Bob Fosse-esque method of masturbation. So Andrew decides to masturbate without the method only to get some sad news. Basically, Andrew Zadie passes away. And the Glauberman method is hands down one of the funniest moments in this overall series where Andrew Glauberman goes through a process, a 17-step process on how he gets ready for masturbation. He literally goes, look, lock, light, music, lower the shade, flip the mat. Flip the rent, Lululemon, maternity catalog, double check the lock, tissues, two, three, four, lotion, ass, triple check the lock again. And of course, um, Nick cuts him off right there and says, you're going to go through the whole process? He goes, yeah. He goes, you triple check the lock? He goes, now you, now I got to start all over again. All right, people, places from the top.
And he's like, wait, if I didn't stop you, were you going to just actively just come in front of me? And Andrew goes, yes. Because it's a superstitious thing. Because the one time he doesn't do the method, his Zadie passes away, which is a relative. Yeah, Zadie is basically a grandfather in Yiddish. And then some people speculate what, what the other steps might be. And one person thought it might be three more tissues because he said he needed seven. Quadruple check the lock. Get in position. Choke the chicken. And those are pretty good guesses on what the method could be. And people are like, you triple check the lock. It's like, dude, yes, you should always, always, always triple quadruple check the lock, especially if you got other people in a house that live with you. Yeah, I'm always doing that. When I was when I was younger and I was masturbating, I always triple checked every lock that there was. Hell, there's been times where I've been at work in the past, at past jobs, and masturbated. You know how many times I triple checked the freaking lock to make sure nobody walked in, whether it was a bathroom or an office or whatever? Trust me, you triple quadruple check the lock because you want to make absolutely certain that some bitch is locked. So if someone jiggles the handle, you can change everything real quick and make sure everything's like, you know, back to freaking normal. Because nobody wants to get caught with their dick in their hands. It is not a pretty sight, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a pretty sight for you. It's not a pretty sight for anyone who catches you. That's why I've always been like, look, if you got a teenage boy in your house, I know some parents don't want to knock. Because they're like, fuck that. This is my house. I can, I shouldn't have to knock. All right. But if you want to see that shit, go ahead. Just knock. Got nothing to do with dominance and authority. Check your egos at the door. Because I guarantee you, if you kick open that door, you are going to see something you are not going to want to see. And if you're a guy, it's going to gross you out. If it's a girl, it's going to gross you out. And if you're a mom, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to kill your anxiety. Because that's when you realize your boy's not a boy anymore. Because once they get to that point, they're becoming a man. And some women can't handle it. You're not required to handle it. No siree, not ye. And then, of course, there was blue ball. Michelangelo tells Jesse to give him a hand job to satisfy his blue balls. But when Jesse sees Michelangelo's penis, she laughs and they break up. Yeah, Michelangelo wasn't doing much below the belt. And yeah, by the way, the best form of birth control is pointing and laughing, as Robin Williams used to say. And I'll tell you right now, that is the quickest way to get somebody to break up with you is to laugh at their dick. Because no guy is going to want to be around you if you're laughing at their dick. Because... Men are always insecure about the dick. That is our weak spot for so many things. It, it can affect us emotionally. If, you, if we get punched or kicked there physically, it hurts like hell. Mentally, we're always worrying about if we're the right size for the women. And like I said, emotionally, it can break you down to find out you're not in line with the big boys or someone out there is bigger than you or the girl doesn't like the size. Like it, it, it's, 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 it's a mind fuck. That's why most guys don't want women to see them in that position. Like when it's like in a, in a, in a weakened state, as I'll call it. Like, I, and, I, and I'll be honest, I'm the same way. Like, I could never sleep butt naked with a woman in my bed. I can have sex without my clothes on, but once the sex is over and we're just laying in bed, at some point, my underwear is going to come back on. I'm putting my underwear back on. That's just going to happen. I'm sorry, but I will. Like, it's, it's, I mean... Now, maybe someday if I'm in a, you know, long-term relationship or I'm married and I'm with a woman who legitimately doesn't care, maybe some, maybe then I'll do it. But most of the time when I'm sleeping in a bed, and I mean like actual sleeping in a bed, not having sex, just, you know, closing my eyes, going to sleep and there's a woman in the bed next to me, my underwear is, my underwear is on because I just, I can't bear to have a woman look at me not 
erect. It's just, it's weird. <laughs> and I know I'm not the only guy who thinks that. That's why I'm comfortable talking about it on this show. But a lot of us just like, what the fuck? And of course, you know, the whole hand job thing. And there are some guys who, you know, don't want them. Some people don't like them. Me personally, I am not a fan of hand jobs. I never have been. I've never been a fan of the handy, mostly because I've never met a girl that's been able to do it correctly. So I'm just like, no, I don't do hand jobs. I'm either, it's either a blow job or fuck. That's all I care about. We're either, it's either blow or fuck. We are not doing hand jobs. In fact, the only time I would ever want a girl jerking me off is if she's taking a break from giving a blow job. Like she's like, needs a moment to catch her breath before she goes back down. Okay, jerk it a little bit to keep it hard before you go down. I'm cool with that. But either way, all great funny stories. Globberman Method's probably my personal favorite. And then Andrew and his friends attend a funeral for Andrew Zadie, whom Andrew still believes died because he did not masturbate right. Nick wants to tell Jesse about his dream because now Nick is starting to fall for Jesse. Meanwhile, Matthew's mother actually accidentally sees his phone and discovers he's gay and excludes him from the church cook-off. As revenge, Matthew and Aiden decide to compete in the cook-off because apparently Matthew's mom is, you know, somewhat a conservative parent and, you know, they usually do cook-offs together because for some reason Matthew's mom doesn't pick up on the fact that Matthew's gay even though it is blatantly obvious his kid is gay. Now, again, nothing wrong with being gay. I'm just saying it's blatantly obvious. So him and Aiden decide, okay, just to spite his mom, he's going to do the cook-off. He'll do it by himself. And I'm I'm all for Matthew on that one because, you know, any any parent that would turn away their child for being gay is fucking ridiculous. And I think it's heartless and stupid. Now, here's the thing. You might not understand it and you might not even agree with it. You might not be okay with it. And here's the thing. It's okay to not be okay with it. It's okay for it to make you uncomfortable, but it's not okay to completely distance yourself from your child because of it. That's not cool. Because I said it before and I'll say it again. You don't have to agree with every decision that your child makes. You don't have to be okay with their lifestyle. There's no law that says you have to be a supporter of what they do. The only thing as a parent you are required to do is love your child and be there for them when they need you. That's your only obligation. Now, if you support what they do, if you support their lifestyle, if you're okay with your child being gay, that's just an added bonus and good for you. You're on the team. But if you're not or it makes you uncomfortable, just love your kid and you're doing what you got to do. Because anyone who pressures you to agree with their lifestyle or decisions is fucked up in my opinion as long as you're not being a judgmental bitch or a judgmental prick about it there's no law that says you have to agree with it then on halloween night the gang goes to a haunted sorority house where they become victims of a trippy hazing despite being underage and not students at the university, which that's got to be the worst, especially obviously hazing is, you know, you know, the, the stuff that they do at sorority houses and fraternities when they're trying to initiate people or want to, you know, mess with people. And obviously they're hate, they're trippy. So they're obviously getting some type of psychedelics and stuff and they're tripping and going crazy, which those sorority people can go to jail because never mind the fact they're not students at the university. That's irrelevant. The fact they're underaged can get them in serious trouble. Like you can't pull pranks on somebody like that who is underage you can go to jail especially in this day and age you will go to jail for fucking with underage people and i'm not just talking about molestation and all that i'm talking about pranking them hurting them you you cause harm to somebody underage you're fucked and then jay tells lola that he loves her but lola does not reciprocate which upsets jay 
So, and that's the worst. When you tell somebody you love them and they don't love you back, obviously it's gonna upset you. It's gonna fuck with you on some level. And it takes this toxic shit to another level. And then, following the events of the previous episode, Nick's body has been taken over by his darker future self, Nick Starr, who proceeds to push away his friends with his behavior, leaving the present Nick as a lost soul in ghostly limbo with Duke. So now Nick is basically a ghost watching someone possess his body and fuck up his life. Meanwhile, Matthew comes out to his father, who admits that he had always known, and accepts him and comforts him by saying his mother will understand in time. See, just like I was saying before, the dad's on board. The dad is doing what a parent is supposed to do. He's loving his child and saying, look, obviously your mom will understand someday, but I'm here if you need me. Perfect. The dad handled that very well. An attempt to force Star out of his body fails. Nick manages to recruit Andrew and Missy in a mission to jump into his body and force out Star. The battle in Nick's mind becomes devastating with a giant anxiety mosquito on Star's side. With a Kaju-style battle with the Gratitude brought by Jesse, but eventually Star is defeated, and a scarred version of Nick within combines with the real Nick to become one. After this, Rick the Hormone Monster ends the episode with a musical number, which was basically the song I played during the uh, commercial break. And obviously, you know, the scarred version of Nick within, obviously, is him dealing with all the anxiety, dealing with all the insecurity, and, you know, just Nick dealing with all of his problems and his fears and everything. And the real Nick basically telling him, hey, we're going to be all right, it's going to be okay. They become one Nick, and then that Nick star guy gets forced out. And, you know, it's basically Nick dealing with all of his problems and all of his insecurities and coming into his own. And that's very much what happens here with this uh, season. You know, the characters starting to develop more. You know, you're starting to learn more things about them. They're finding new ways to have them go through the emotions that middle school kids go through. So that's why I said before, even though a lot of this stuff is weird because it's happening to middle school kids, they're still teaching lessons and still helping to educate people while also being funny. And that's the key thing. It really gives you like a first class education. Like I would say this right now. There are some cases in some of these episodes where if you want your kid to really learn about sex, I have them watch Big Mouth. Now granted, there are vulgar aspects and they do certain things for comedic effect to make you laugh. But again, there's lessons in a story being told throughout. So in a way, it still makes sense and it still works. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will conclude this review of season four of Big Mouth. We're going to take a short break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into season five of Big Mouth here on the Boochcast. So you guys sit tight. I shall return right after this. Smug little skanks who stick together with their stuck up attitudes. Cold hearted bitches that do much better, but they only like dumb hot dudes. Selfish little hussies and their boy toy tools. Damn shit bros who are pussy with fools. Fuck you all, you shit at losers go. Dudes and 
wanna be feminist turners, party party posers, fix it pretenders, Fat social media influencers, a world full of losers, jerks and pricks. They can all go to H E double two things. Yeah, it feels so good to hate. Just say fuck it. Hey, it feels so good to hate. You hate something. It feels so good to Hello, and welcome back to the Boochcast. During the break, we played the song, It Feels So Good to Hate, from season five of Big Mouth, and I definitely picked this song, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, obviously I'll explain more as we go through season five, but all I gotta say is, I loved this song, mostly because it really spoke to me during this time, and the reason is because, as I've mentioned many times before on the Boochcast, it's part of my life, part of my story. For 13 years, I worked in retail for 13 years. 10 years at Home Depot, three years at Lowe's, 13 years. And during those 13 years, I developed so much anger, bitterness, and hatred towards the world that a lot of these thoughts that these kids were having was going through my mind during that time. I hated everything, I hated everyone, mostly because I was dealing with the rudest, stupidest people to ever exist on God's green earth and when you're around people like that long enough it can drive you insane it really can especially during the pandemic when people were at their absolute worst and words cannot describe how happy I am to be out of that world out of that environment and doing my own thing in life and even though from time to time I still get I still get stressed I still get angry uh, I'm not quite as angry or stressed or pissed off as I've been in the past so I'm able to uh, look at this from a more uh, hilarious standpoint and less from a angry relatable standpoint and that was it feels so good to hate here on the Boochcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we will commence with the review of season five of Big Mouth. And this starts off with not only a crazy episode, but also a popular topic that goes around, especially at the time that I'm recording this. No Nut November. Attempting to take his mind off of Lola, Jay decides to attempt No Nut November, with Andrew, Jesse, and Nick all joining in a competition to see who makes it. Unable to stop Andrew from feeling horny, Maury teaches him about the practice of edging. At Nick's house, the trio attempt to watch the film Doubt in an effort to not be aroused. Only for Andrew to lose control while practicing edging, resulting in ejaculating his pants in front of Nick's family. At the same time, Jesse steals Judd's shirt and loses the competition as well. Nick has an erotic wet dream about Jesse that night. Meanwhile, Missy fantasizes about Devin, feeling confused and eventually breaks up with her fantasy version of Nathan Fillion. Jay unfollows Lola who taunts him on social media. So she shows up at his house to tempt him. This ends in a fight where both refuse to apologize to the other and Lola vows to make Jay come in his mouth. Jay has an emotional orgasm while trying not to think of her and is told he has failed by the spirit of Kumala Nanjimi. The episode ends with a montage of various characters masturbating while Andrew narrates that he was kicked out of a real estate model home for it. Now, obviously there's a lot of layers to this and I'll talk about it. Um, For example, No Nut November is obviously Obviously, try to go the entire month of November without masturbating. That is something I will never fucking do. Because um, I can honestly say in my lifetime, I could never go a whole month without masturbating. I know I couldn't do it. I've gone a few days. The longest I've ever gone is maybe a week 
Don't ask me how I did it. It's just how my body varies from time to time. Like I'll go days without any desire to masturbate at all. And then there are some days where I'm just a chronic masturbator and I just have to go, 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 go. Trust me, if you if I had 24-7 cameras on the inside of this uh, studio I'm in, y'all wouldn't believe the shit that I do in between recordings and research and all that other stuff. There are times where I'm in here doing computer work and it's usually internet porn. So I've been there. Now edging, I don't think I've ever done that. And obviously it's um about controlling an orgasm and to practice alone or with a partner involves the maintenance of a high level of sexual arousal for an extended period of time without reaching climax. Yeah, I think we call that blue balls. <laughs> I, I think that's the only thing I'm thinking about when I think of edging, but I've never actually tried that. And I can honestly say I would never do that. I think if I did edging, I would probably become an, even angrier than normal. I would probably, I would probably have to either orgasm or I would fucking murder somebody. So I'm not even going to attempt edging. And of course they try to watch the movie Doubt to get their minds off of everything. And obviously, you know, uh, the movie Doubt, I've only seen it like once in my life. But um, when I was in college, we did um, acting for the camera was one of the classes classes I took and we had to do a scene from the movie Doubt. Now obviously with this movie there's you know it's two girls and a guy you know sister Aloysius who's played by Meryl Streep, sister Jane's played by Amy Adams and father Flynn played by Philip Seymour Hoffman and what's interesting is in my particular group we had five people in the group one was a director one was an assistant director and the other three were actors me and two other people. I can't remember their names off the top of my head and I kind of hate myself for it, but uh, the girl that was in the group, we've done acting classes together before. So she, we decided to flip it around and have two guys and a girl and play each role. So she played the Father Flynn role. Uh, the other guy played the uh, Meryl Streep's role and I played Sister James. Only we called it Mr. James instead of Sister. So we kind of went with that. And we had to do this whole scene. I wish I still had it with me because it was hilarious. Uh, mostly because I was playing the role of Mr. James very well. Well, basically just having to be nervous all the time and a little uncomfortable and it gave me a chance to play another role that was really fun and even though it doesn't really have anything to do with necessarily the review that's just what doubt means whenever I hear it so that's kind of where I was going with that and then of course uh you know Kumali Najiani who you know is an actor comedian screenwriter they have him as this big buff guy <laughs> in the show so that's kind of why Jay um kind of idolizes him and like I said this show is just getting crazier and crazier more people are being added and they're making this very interesting so next uh then we got the shame wizard comes into play uh depre he's depressed at having been defeated by the kids seasons earlier they were able to beat the shame wizard and get rid of whatever shame they had back in the day and the shame wizard finds out from coach Thea that there is swim class at the school that day and he appears in order to sow discord at first not appearing to succeed soon the students begin feeling bad about their bodies because you know obviously when you're in swim class you're wearing bathing suits and swim trunks and things like that so people get insecure like nobody everybody's embarrassed about being seen in a bathing suit because a bathing suit pretty much reveals all especially if you're wearing bikinis or banana hammocks or things like that which i don't think you would wear in a school but anything's possible in this fucking show and like i know when people wear bathing suits some people don't like the way they look and and, and i've always thought that was weird to me like i understand it as a concept but the thing about me is and i think this is the problem that i've always had as far as my weight goes i've never really had a weight 
problem. I haven't. I've never looked at myself in the mirror and was disgusted by how I looked. I really wasn't. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just never had that issue. Like I've lost weight in the past, but it was always to forward my career in some way. Like I was, you know, I was a wrestler in high school. I had to lose weight so I could be a better wrestler. Uh, when I was on the regular guys, I lost a lot of weight because we were in a weight loss competition. I thought I was going to get an endorsement deal somewhere that never went through. Uh, if I ever did lose weight again, I don't know what my motivation would be this go around. Maybe someday we'll find out together if it ever happens. Uh, so when the Gogurt burglar is revealed to have large genitals for his size, the boys are all upset. And Nick finds out the others mock him for his small penis when he's not around and fears he has a micro penis. Which is, if you're a dude who has that, I feel so bad for you, bro. Because he can't tell the difference if he just has a small dick or if it's a micro dick. Or maybe he just hasn't, you know, like I said, come to fruition yet. Because everybody knows that people talk about it when he's not around. Which is every guy's fear. And every guy knows that, you know. Every guy is like, you know, I guess as I said before with season four, everybody's fear is, you know, that your dick is small and people are going to be uncomfortable about it. And unable to afford a penis pump advertised online, he uses a vacuum cleaner which results in injuries. <laughs> Yeah, desperate men do desperate things, and that's what makes us stupid sometimes. Uh, Andrew, in an attempt to clean up his unkempt pubic hair, cuts his scrotum with a pair of scissors. And after pouring expired nair and hydrogen peroxide, his penis takes on the appearance of the Joker. Oh my god, that has to hurt. I can only imagine that pain. That was so uncomfortable. Cutting your scrotum with a pair of scissors must is gonna hurt like a son of a bitch. And now it looks like the Joker, which I guess is funny. Like, you know how I got these scars? Matthew starts becoming aroused, learning that Jay is not circumcised and has difficulties with Aiden. Jesse finds out that every other girl shaves their legs and cuts her legs with a beat-up razor in an attempt to shave. Yeah, always gotta get the smooth ones and worst case scenario, get waxed. Missy finds out she has acne on her back and feeling worried about Devin losing interest, attempts to pop the zits, only resulting in dislocating her shoulder and getting a needle in the face. Yeah, that's gonna hurt like a son of a bitch. Lola is insecure when Devin says her labia are abnormally large. After learning of a goop egg online, she attempts to fix it by sticking a whole egg only to get it stuck. Yep. <laughs> I think uh, Jim Jeffries had a similar incident with an egg up his ass. At the emergency room, Nick, Jesse, Missy, Andrew, and Lola all meet each other. The advice of Lola's mother's parole officer offsets their shame at their imperfections. The next day, Jay offers to show his erect penis to Matthew, who is more aroused. The, same the shame wizard considers the day as not a total failure. And it wasn't, because he got them to be ashamed for quite some time. And now, obviously, Matthew is falling for the bad boy, which is making his relationship with Aiden tough, because Matthew's going through that. And everybody goes situation they'd rather have the bad boy or the bad girl than the good person that's why they say the nice people finish last uh missy organizes an affinity group at the school which nick joins in order to impress jesse the order of business is to protest the school's outdated and offensive mascot the scheming gypsy Oh, great. Al Allie convinces the others in the group that they should not be patient and protest the mascot at the wrestling meet the next day over Missy's protests. Nick gets a new creature, Walter the Lovebug, who convinces Nick that he's in love with Jesse. At Allie's house that night to make signs, the two seem to hit it off. At the wrestling meet that day, Andrew loses, but boasts about his singlet, emphasizing his sizable buttocks. No one in attendance notices the protest, so the group storms the match, only to get told off by attendees. During the protest, Jesse touches Nick's arm. Jay impresses another student, Charles, Lou, with his wrestling magic and invites him to Panera to learn more with the sorcerers. After which, Charles and Jay wrestle before kissing. 
Andrew begins carb loading to further fatten his butt. After eating too much clam chowder, he has diarrhea and tears his singlet in his rush to use the Panera toilet. Matthew starts acting irritable and paranoid to get Aiden to break up with him, succeeding to his dismay. At Jesse's father's apartment, Allie and Jesse are excited and talk, with Jesse revealing she has and uses Judge's shirt. Before they decide to not follow Missy's patient approach and attempt to tear down the statue at the school, only managing to smash a crystal ball before being arrested. Later released by the police, Jesse is brought home and encounters Nick, who has been encouraged by Walter to make a grand gesture. The gesture is a love sign that only results in awkwardness, and Jesse eventually doesn't like him in the same way, and Nick runs off in tears. Later, Allie appeals outside Jesse's window, both excited about the day. Another love bug named Sonia lights up behind Jesse as she feels love for Allie. Now, of course, those of you who don't, don't remember, Allie is basically the pansexual woman in the group. Basically, she fucks everything that moves. Take her to the aquarium, the fish stop swimming. And obviously, there's another scene with protests. And I, it was weird because as a guy who wrestled in high school or in middle school, I liked the fact there was a wrestling team here. But the fact that they focused less on the wrestling and more on the fact that Andrew's got a fat ass, like, I don't need to fucking see that. That kind of irritated me a little bit. I mean, it was funny, but it was like, I, I hate when wrestling's being used in, you know, situations where they're trying to make gay jokes. It, it's one of the few things on the planet that offends me. I don't get offended easily. And of course, Matthew breaks up with Aiden, getting rid of that, and, you know, Andrew going to the toilet. Why are you going to the toilet with a fucking singlet on? Why are you eating with a singlet on? Before I would even eat any clam chowder, I'm fucking getting in clothes I can easily take off, okay? Trust me, I've been in situations where I've worn a singlet and had to use the bathroom. Ain't shit cool about it. The only time I've ever eaten in a singlet is if I was at a wrestling tournament all day long and I had a long break before my next match so I would eat food to get some energy because I didn't have to weigh in. And then, in the vein of Othello, all the main characters grapple with destructive jealousy. Jesse's love for Allie is shown to be platonic but manifests as an overwhelming desire to be Allie's number one and jealousy is what anyone else she spends time with. This jealousy is reciprocated by Allie's girlfriend, Samira, and culminates in a fight between Jesse and Samira, after which Samira breaks up with Allie. Allie subsequently asks Jesse to leave, and their friendship seems to be over. Matthew, having broken up with Aiden in the previous episode, attempts to reignite his relationship with Jay, but discovers Jay's attraction and closeted making out with Charles Liu, sparking intense jealousy. Allie's attempt to give Jay misleading advice only results in Jay proudly claiming to be Charles' side piece. With Jesse and Allie receiving widespread credit for the school of mascots challenge to Steve Van Zant after their statue vandalism in the previous episode, Missy experiences jealousy toward Jesse and confronts her. Jesse's half-hearted apology and the lack of attendance at Missy's affinity group leave Missy jealous and disheartened. Nick, while attempting to deliver a gift for Jesse, discovers Judd's shirt under her pillow and includes that Judd and Jesse are secretly seeing each other. Nick's jealousy prompted to reveal the situation to his family, which they calmly deduce as Jesse simply having a crush on Judd. In class, Nick reveals to Jesse that he and his family know about her having Judd's shirt and that Judd feels nothing for her. When Nick then reaffirms his love for her, Jesse maintains that she does not love Nick, leaving him publicly embarrassed and more heartbroken. Meanwhile, Andrew develops an unhealthy obsession with his substitute teacher, Mr. Keating going so far as to approach him outside of school hours, make uninvited house calls, and jealously stalk his fiance. Andrew's increasingly inappropriate behavior results in Mr. Keating having a nervous breakdown in class and being fired. So now all the jealousy's happening, and as I mentioned before, the love bugs are now in play. And what's interesting about the love bugs is the fact that, again, these are the people that are showing, oh my God, you're in love. It's another thing that helps everybody out. And you can see Nick and Jesse getting angry and pissed off and losing their minds. And this becomes a recurring part in the whole story. Andrew's father
father makes his famous turkey for Thanksgiving at the Birch household, and Andrew resolves to not eat any to stand up for himself. His refusal leads to a near-violent altercation and widespread embarrassment for the Glauberman family, though Andrew later deduces that the turkey was his father's love language and the two reconcile. Nick remains heartbroken at Jesse's rejection, which is only exasperated by Leah Birch inviting her new boyfriend, Val Blazarian, to Thanksgiving. Missy's cousins arrive for Thanksgiving at the Foreman Greenwald household, and Missy, afraid of being a dork, smokes one of their joints. Her family deduces that she is high due to her right behavior, cutting the festivities short and leaving a rift between her and her cousins. Jay dresses as Santa Claus and robs Holmes of uneaten food, though he later leaves his hall at Lola's door after noticing she's alone and hungry on Thanksgiving. Jesse's dad, Greg Glaser, reveals he and his girlfriend are spending a baby, leaving Jesse distraught that her family will never be reunited. Jesse visits Allie for confidence to reconcile, though Jesse has a fantasy of making out with Allie that leads her questioning her sexuality. So now, Jesse's wondering if she's a lesbian. Wouldn't shock me if she was. And of course, now, once again, Missy's trying to prove that she's down, which is another awkward thing. And the fact that Andrew and his father actually start to get along in this is actually pretty cool. Because his dad's been kind of a prick throughout this whole goddamn series. So to see him finally step up and actually care about his son was great. Or to see that they were actually able to sit down, have a conversation, and have a meaningful relationship is actually very good. Jesse continues to question her budding attraction to Allie. Missy's continued resentment toward Jesse and Allie prompts the appearance of Rochelle, her hate worm. Under the worm's influence, Missy posts an anonymous comment claiming that Allie and Jesse kissed during their arrest in Love Bugs while Allie was dating Samira. After the comment gains widespread attention, Jesse, Jesse decides her friendship with Allie is more important than her attraction and comforts Allie, much to the latter's appreciation. Nick continues to be depressed and Devin proposes a boy's night out, which entails the boys destroying an abandoned house. Andrew, after the tender moment with his dad in the previous episode, adopts a new emotional and altruistic personality and unsuccessfully attempts to persuade the boys to be more in touch with their feelings. After Devin teases Nikki, Nick about Missy's post, the two fight, leaving Nick with a broken nose and even more resentful toward Jesse. Jay experiences sadness at being Charles Lou's closeted side piece, but his repeated attempts to emotionally connect with Charles are rejected. After being listened to and confronted by Andrew, Jay asks Charles for an emotional commitment. Charles nonchalantly refuses and the two break up. Walter, Nick's love book, consumed with hate, appears to die at the end of the episode. And then, Walter, Nick's former love book, emerges from a cocoon reborn as a hate worm. So now Missy and Nick both have hate worms, which basically expresses their anger, their rage, which comes to the uh, love to hate song that I played earlier. And at one point, the two hate worms are talking to each other. And my favorite part is when uh, Walter says, all I do is eat cookies and talk shit. That was my favorite line in this entire season. I love that line. And that's a new thing that I say now. All I do is eat cookies and talk shit. Missy's anonymous comment continues to gain traction with the rumors spreading through the school. Missy and Nick bond over their mutual hatred of Jesse, descending to a spiral of hatred and feeding their increasingly large hate worms. Jay publicly apologizes to Lola and they move into the Birch attic together. Though Lola kicks Jay out after learning of him and Charles Lou making out. Lola later releases an online video in which Jay explains a magic trick to her, leaving Jay distraught that he broke the magician's code. Jay's later expelled from magic by the Panera sorcerers. Andrew reveals to Allie and Jesse that Missy started the rumor, causing Jesse to experience a near breakdown until Allie pulls her out of it. And this breakdown involves Tito, the anxiety mosquito, the depression kid, and the shame wizard all fucking with her at the same time. Nick and Missy's hatred causes them to turn on one another, each downplaying the other's supposed reasons for hating Jesse. Allie then confronts and physically attacks Missy in the school cafeteria, though Missy dominates the fight until it is broken up by teachers. In the aftermath, Missy and I are suspended from school. Lola is also suspended due to her video of Jay containing nudity and thus consulting, constituting child pornography. At home, Rochelle enters Missy's head, turning her into a hate-filled Medusa-like figure. 
Can't say that I blame her. And obviously Lola being extremely homophobic because it's like when he made out with Charles, they weren't even together. So obviously Lola is either mad that Jay would move on with anybody, which makes her a petty psycho, or she's mad that it was a guy, which makes her homophobic. And she completely fucks up Jay's life by getting kicked out of the magician's world. That is the, that is a trust violation that you can never repair. Like if I was a magician for a living and a girl did that to me, there's no reconciliation. We're done forever. It's a permanent break breakup. Fuck that cunt. Then we have an R-rated Muppet-style Christmas special conspiring six mini-stories. Connie's story of the first Christmas, How Santa's Elves Learned About Sex, a two-part John Wick parody featuring Jay's dog featuring Ludacris taking revenge on his former owner's murders, Andrew being granted his wish of being in a Christian family on Christmas, Lola celebrating Christmas with a live snow mom, and later her mother's parole officer, and Lottie and Mila Jansen becoming the Santa Vader Johan folklore of the Netherlands, which is a fucked up version of Christmas. I gotta tell you right now, it was twisted. I love the puppet thing because that was just a good you know break from the animation it was equally entertaining equally talented they were able to do more muppet like stuff which made it even funnier the Birch family plus Andrew and Val Bilzerin go on a ski to the Sugar Bush Resort. Leah Birch plans to lose her virginity to Val and does so on the first night of the trip. Though she finds the experience awkward and unsatisfying. However, after some words of wisdom from Diane, Elliot, and Bonnie, Leah's hormone monster, Leah and Val openly communicate about what arouses them and have increasingly better experiences. Diane and Elliot are mutually uncomfortable with the situation, leading to marital strife, but they eventually communicate and reconcile. Andrew meets a fellow ski novice and the two immediately hit it off. All the while, Nick remains heavily under the influence of his hate worm, Walter. Later breaks his leg while attempting to ski down a black diamond slope at night and triggers an avalanche. He is rescued by Judd, but the avalanche interrupts Diane and Elliot's makeup sex. Stops Andrew from getting to second base, interrupts Leah and Val mid-coitus, and interrupts Maury's threesome with Connie and Bonnie. Meanwhile, Matthew commits to cleaning up a depressed, magicless Jay and eventually admits his feelings for Jay, leading to the two making out. So they finally get together, Matthew and Jay, and Nick just ruins things for everyone, especially when Connie and Bonnie were about to have a threesome. It's like, it's like Connie and I got to talking and we've decided two things. One, it's time to put Mama in a home. And two, we want to have a threesome. Well, I can't really argue with that. And then they go crazy and the whole thing gets broke up. So basically makes a piece of shit. Then Devin and Devon throw a re-New Year's Eve party to celebrate their getting back together and the new year. Nick, his legs still in a cast, blames Walter for ruining his life and fights him, during which both are transported to the monster world. Andrew and Maury travel to the monster world to recover Nick. Nick makes his way to the complaints department and asks to speak to whoever is in charge, leading to a meeting with Nick Kroll, co-created Big Mouth, Nick's voice actor, and essentially the grown-up real-life him. And this is the actual Nick Kroll, like, standing in the office, like, actually him. Kroll tells Nick that your monsters are you, and that Nick is in charge of his own behavior, as well as reminds Nick of his loving family and friends. Nick and Andrew reunite and express their platonic love for one another, and Walter appears, reborn as original love bug form. Missy continues to be dominated by her hate worm Rochelle and remains in her room, with her fearful parents being repeatedly overwhelmed by her hateful rant. Missy's cousin Quinta later video calls her and offers an apology for the events of Thanksgiving. And Missy, with the help of her hormone monster Mona, begins to escape Rochelle's grip. Jessie ponders Missy's recent actions and reflects on her own recent dismissive attitude toward Missy. She later visits Missy and offers an apology, which Missy accepts despite Rochelle's protest. Missy then re-embraces her dorkiness and re-expresses her love for those around her, including Mona and Rochelle, causing the latter to be reborn as a love bug. Matthew angrily breaks up with Jay after he takes them for a joyride in his car and causes several accidents. Lola experiences deep remorse for her treatment of Jay. At Devin and Devon's party, 
Friday, several apologies are made. Missy apologizes to Allie and Jesse. Nikki apologizes to Desi. And Lola apologizes to Jay. Lola attempts to reignite her relationship with Jay, but Matthew arrives and professes his liking for Jay. Jay chooses Matthew, leaving Lola to storm out in tears. Several of the show's monsters watch on as the children celebrate the new year, expressing happiness at the children's various progresses throughout the year. So that's where everything ends. And obviously Lola's upset, so we can see where that's going to lead. Obviously, everybody's making peace. The love bugs are normal. And what's interesting about going to the complaint department is that was actually an inspiration for the show Human Resources, which is basically Big Mouth, only instead of having the uh, the focus being on the children, the focus is on the hormone monsters and all the other monsters that work in there. The love bugs, the hate worms, all that shit. And there's even more extra people that get thrown into the mix just for the hell of it. So it's like everything from the monster's point of view. And a great first season. I look forward to the second one, but obviously we'll talk about that at a later date. All I gotta say is, once again, Big Mouth delivers. I look forward to season six. And judging from what I see here, I'm not gonna have any room on here for season six. So we're gonna wrap this compilation up here and season six will be on its own separate track. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will conclude this review of Season 5 of Big Mouth. And we'll officially wrap up this episode of the Boochcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there. Or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash the Boochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos visit our youtube channel check out all of our youtube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted also you can follow us on twitch go to twitch.tv slash the that's where we do our live wrestling watch parties our next watch party will be saturday april 1st and sunday april 2nd for nights one and two of wrestlemania 39 that's right the biggest wrestling event of the year will be in Hollywood. And we're going to be getting together both nights for Wrestlemania. So night one from start to finish will be one stream and then night two from start to finish will be another stream. So we're not going to be streaming for like a full 24 hours. It's going to be one show and then come back the next day for the next show. So make sure you join us both nights for Wrestlemania 39. Also, we have our live D&D show, our Boochcast booking battle and another special treat that we got in the works if it's not out already. And of course, you guys can support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works best within your budget. We have our first level, which is 99 cents, $1 per month. Our second level is $4.99, $5 per month. And our third level is $9.99, $10 per month. You have the option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. And the best part is all the money that we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment. We used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and you lose going to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. Talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all. Goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu.
adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. At ease. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again. <laughs>